get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Perunovic walks the line. Neighbors, one-timer. He scores! Jake Neighbors with a one-timer on a sweet feed from Perunovic. Straight ahead to Perunovic. Far circle as the Blues are flying in the ozone. Scandella, score! Marco Scandella snipes it from the top of the near circle. Top shelf, far side. Shin to the empty net. Wide, two seconds to go. Bring out the Zamboni. The Blues hang on and they beat the Dallas Stars 2-1. to one. What a great win tonight. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Great Francis, who's already warmed up for us after that fantastic Hot producer damn. party from 10 to 11 a.m. today right here on 101 ESPN. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And Alex, I'm fired up today. Are you? That was one hell of a performance last night. You yeah, the Blues got completely again? outplayed by the Stars from start to finish of that game, really. Wait a minute. I don't care. Alex, I do not care. I'm not going to come in here today and tell you about the nerdy numbers on how the ice was completely tilted in favor of the stars last night. Uh Uh-uh, I'm not doing that. doing it. Alex, I believe genuinely that finding a way to win is a skill. And I believe that far too long this year, the Blues had a skill of finding ways to lose. And last night, what stood out to me Man, they are finding ways to win, and it's not always the same way. Last night, Joel Hofer, credit to you, young man. Hat tip to you. I don't have a hat on, but if I did, I would tip my hat to him. That was an unbelievable performance by the young goalie. The coach who went to him in that spot coming off of the break was rewarded for doing so. You find a couple of ways to put the puck in the back of the net. And Alex, I know there was one moment last night, you texted us right afterwards, where you... Grant, myself, and yes, every single one of you in the listening audience right now or the viewing audience over on YouTube at youtube.com slash 101 ESPN. We all had the exact same reaction last night as Alex did because we're thinking of the team that played under Craig Berube and not the team that has been showing up over the last six games under Drew Bannister. Alex, what was that moment for you where you said to yourself, they're going to lose this game? The five on three for two full minutes where you did not score a goal. And then less than two minutes after that five on three disappeared. Dallas scored and made it a one goal deficit. I said at that moment, I looked over at Jeremy Rutherford and I said, this game is going to be a loss. And I hate being that way, but the the trend is that for this Blues team. When you miss out on an opportunity to extend the lead, tie the game, or take the lead with your power play, 
it goes the other way. And it should because this is hockey. Momentum shifts happen. And Dallas got that biggest momentum shift at that five on three. Look, the Blues had eight shots on goal, but none of them were really at the point where you were like, oh, damn, they're going to score here. It was a lot to the outside, was forcing it to the middle. But props to that Blues team because you go into that second intermission up by a goal. Robertson scores on that breakaway, and you're thinking, uh-oh. But the Blues went back to the, the style of hockey in the third period that they knew wins hockey games, and that's putting pucks in deep. It's not trying to get too risky with your plays. You look for the offense. If it's not there, you throw it behind the net, and you make Dallas to go back for it. They broke it down last night on the postgame show saying, like, look, when you're forcing the other team to have to go back and look behind you when the Blues are coming on a forecheck, that's a lot tougher than it would be for those guys to just get the puck, go up north, and go for the breakaways. So props to that Blues team because they're finding different ways to win. They've had two out of four comebacks in their previous five games. And now with this one, you took a two goal lead. You gave up a goal and you held on to it for a one goal victory. That's big for this blues team. There was a game that I thought of last night when the blues didn't score on that five on three, Alex, I don't know if you remember, this was a couple years ago, blues and penguins and the penguins took two penalties in the first 35 seconds of the game to give the Blues an extended five on three. Is that when Bennington lost his mind? No, Hooper was in for this game, actually. Oh, Oh, that makes sense. After that five on three, it ended up being a close game. The Blues lost three to two in a shootout, but the ice was tilted the entire game. Pittsburgh finished with 45 shots on goal. That's all I could think of last night when they had that five on three. I was like, there's no way they're winning this game. I actually said it in the last hour. Thank God sports betting isn't legal in Missouri because I would have lost money last night. I, I told, I texted BK and Tanner and I said, like, they're losing this game because the momentum shift was real. Dallas had all of it. And Joel Hofer was insane in that game. But there's only so much you can do when the ice is tilted that way. And when a team gets that last breath of hope that says we're still in this hockey game. And you saw it on Dallas's bench when Robertson scored. But here's the thing. They put 15 shots on goal in that third period. Dallas did. Blues had five. I think four out of those 15 were high danger scoring chances. And maybe that updated after the game. So the Blues did a very solid job of making three at five on five, three at five on. So so the Blues did an awesome job making sure that Dallas's shots were shots to the outside and nothing in front of the net. Yeah, if you're looking for a how did the Blues create offense, it was almost exclusively on the power play last night, yeah. believe it or not. They, they did not do a ton at even strength, but that's fine. Like, sometimes you got to win while not having your A game. And too much this year, the Blues have only won when they had their A game. If they didn't have an A game, it was an F game. There was no in between. And last night, I thought the Blues played a C game. They were okay. They had moments where I was like, okay, they're, they're doing all right here. But most of it was just, hey, we're, we're, we're kind of surviving and our goalie's going to win us this game. You've got to be able to do that if you're going to be a playoff team. You've got to have games like last night against competitive opponents where you don't have your A game. You find a way to win based on something, whatever that is, goal scoring, defense, uh, goal support, whatever. I don't care how you win. I care that you win. And now they have won in five of the first six games with Drew Bannister on the bench. They've done it in multiple different ways. And we're starting to see, Alex, most importantly in my mind, you're starting to see the guys that you want to see perform long-term putting up big numbers. That Booch, Thomas, Cairo line is performing under Drew Bannister. We saw last night Scott Perunovich with a multi-point performance for the Blues. That is something that we need to see more of. I hope he gets an extended runway here. Let him go out there and, for now, keep playing on the third pairing. 
Let's get some confidence with him, put him out there in a few of these more difficult situations, but keep the confidence going. And if it continues, put him out there even more. I think he deserves top power play minutes right now. Go ahead and put him out there over Tory Krug. The top unit's not performing. Give the guy that is performing a little bit more of an opportunity there. But it's good to see him performing. He could be a big part of the long-term build here in St. Louis. Jake Neighbors, hot damn. Grant, you had a great note on him last night. Jake Neighbors right now is performing like one of the top goal scorers, not among young players, among all players in the NHL. Yeah, he's got the same amount of goals right now as Connor McDavid, Clayton Keller, Mark Stone, Mark Shifley, like this caliber of players. That's as many goals as Jake Neighbors has right now, which is a wild statistic. All I heard Grant say is the Blues have a 21-year-old Connor McDavid. Honestly, I think the Oilers should trade McDavid for Neighbors no, straight up. Right? I Blues would no. say no. That's a good Blues point. Blues would say no. That's a good point. <laughs> now, if you now, offer Dry Sidle, I'll think about it. But nah, not yeah. for McDavid. I'd say he's too skinny and too slow compared to Jake Neighbors. Jake Neighbors right now is on pace to be the first Blues player at the age of 21 or younger to score 25 goals in a season since Jaden right. Schwartz. Oh, Jaden Schwartz was the last guy to do it. And I think at this point, Alex, is it fair to say at this point that you expect Jake Neighbors to get to 25 on the year? Yeah, I mean, you're you're more than halfway there before the halfway point of the season. And by the way, the 12 goals that he scored, he has done this on the third line. He's done this on the second line, and he's done this on the top line. Anywhere you've asked him. Honestly, he's done it on the fourth line, too. Who was it? I think it was, was it... um, I can't remember. Bruce Boudreaux, maybe, that said... Bruce Boudreaux, yes. You want to see guys that crack their way into the lineup on the fourth line, and then they force their way up. They force their way up the lineup. That's what Jake Neighbors has done this year. He performed so well on the fourth line that when any opportunity arose in the top three, you knew he was the one that was going to be able to get it. And then he played so well in that top nine role that it was like, okay, let's continue getting him more ice time. Let's get him on the power play unit. Let's get this guy into every situation possible because he's one of our best players right now. So... Your top line's performing. Those guys are all pretty young. You hope that they stick around for the long haul. Jake Neighbors performing right now at an exceptionally high rate. Scott Perunovich performing right now. Colton Pareko playing well right now. Let me throw okay, another one Joe in. Joe Hofer, big night last night. Torovchenko as well. I mean, Torovchenko, we've said for so long the guy's probably a fourth-line player for you. I'll give him this. He plays like a, a third-liner. He's he's fast. He's heavy. He's jumping in front of shots. He's making plays with his body and with his offense. I, I love the way that you're getting complimentary pieces right now that every team needs to win a Stanley Cup. If your top line performs and you get these complimentary pieces – You're talking about a team that can start figuring it out sooner rather than later. Winning games is great, and it's something that I I think we all enjoy. We like watching it on a night-in, night-out basis, right? That's that's a good thing for this team, building up the culture once again, getting back to their winning ways. That's, That's all a positive thing. The way that they are winning, to me, is more important. If this was a team that was winning on the backs of, I don't know, um... The mid to lower tier performances. So guys like I hate being guys like Jakub Vrana and Kasperi Kapanen and Kevin Hayes. Like if those were the driving forces behind what the Blues were doing right now, and you weren't getting great contributions from Thomas or Kyrou or Nate. I don't know how much that really helps you yeah. in the long haul because those guys aren't necessarily all going to be here in the long term. But the fact that it is the guys that you're trying to build around right now that you see as key building blocks for the future winning pieces on the Blues teams 
that is what to me is so encouraging about what we're watching over the last six games. It's the guys that you care about as fans in the long term that are going to be playing with Jimmy Snuggerud, who had a natural hat trick earlier today, a natty hattie, so to speak, in his game in the first period. First, what was it, 12 minutes of first that game? First 13 minutes of the first Amazing. period. Those are the guys that are you're building around yeah. for Snuggerud, for Bull Duke, for Dvorsky. That is what's so encouraging about what we're witnessing Someone right texted in and asked, because from the 314, the Blues still in the honeymoon stage, or is it time to start believing? Look, I, I, yes, there's there's 10, the 10 game mark is where I really start to look at with Drew Bannister with this team, and you're five and one through six games. So 10 is kind of the number that I'd want to see with this. But when you get Dom's miserable, you know what, on Twitter saying the Blues are actually good now, yeah, I'd start believing if Dom's miserable analytics are saying that the Blues are good. And to be fair, all the analytics say the Blues aren't good right now. Well, uh, Dom can <laughs> shove it. But you weren't um, talking numbers today. Yeah, again, we're not I, doing I analytics. I don't care about that stuff right now. That is, push it off to the side. Enjoy the wins. That's all that matters. You're getting wins right now where previously they were finding ways to lose. Blues win last night against Dallas. 2-1 to one against the Stars. They are able to overcome a 5-on-3 that they do not score mm. on. They are able to overcome that late push that you saw from the Dallas Stars. A really impressive win in that one by the and Blues. they get to take on a terrible goaltender Friday night at Enterprise and a team Center. It's really scuffling, man. Yeah. Well, that's because their goalie sucks. Grant and I've been saying that for two years. They were up last night, what, four nothing? Four yeah. nothing. And, and they find a way to lose? Arizona scored a late goal in the second and then three unanswered goals with one being three minutes to go in the third and then one in an overtime. Georgiev's backup is showing right now. Yeah. This is what he is. This is their goal. They tender. opened the season fifteen and six. They are six, five, and three since that. 15 and 6 start. Yeah. When you have guys that are as respected as, what was it, Devon Taves mm-hmm. in the locker room saying after a game, our guys are not doing what is necessary to win right now. And he was doing that a couple of games ago. And I think he did it after a win, if I'm not mistaken. That That's when you know stuff's got to change. And I saw last night, I can't remember, I think it was Bucci Gross who said, hey, this is just not the group no. to win a Stanley Cup in Colorado. There's a reason that they've been in the rumors by Elliot Friedman of going after Elias Lindholm. Because they know that their team is not good enough. But the problem is not... And that's the best team right now. That's the team to beat in the Central Division. That yeah. tells you everything you need to know. The team that you just played last night is essentially second place in the Central Division right now. And the team that we're talking about that doesn't have a good goalie, that doesn't have the right mix, that needs to go out and make a big move in order to improve, those are the teams that you're trying to compete with in the Central Division right now. All of this is why if you're a Blues fan, hey, there's an opening. I'm not telling you you're going to Stanley Cup or anything like that, but can you get into the postseason and maybe win a series this year? Yeah, there's an opening there. You for absolutely that. can for how miserable all of these teams' goaltenders are. I will say too that game last night makes tomorrow's game even more interesting because that's going to be one pissed off team coming into St. Good. Louis. Good, I want to see them pissed off. I want to see Georgiev banging the glass again. I want to see who's in net for the Blues. We'll get into that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. Coming up at 11.30, we'll talk to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and Bally Sports Midwest. Want to get his thoughts on Joel Hofer's performance last night, what he is seeing right now from Scott Perunovich, and who would he start in net for the Blues on Friday night? We'll get into all of that with Joe coming up at 11.30. But next, so the Cardinals are trying to build right now around innings eaters, and that's great. But you got a manager who doesn't like putting pitchers out there for the third time through the order. How's that going to mix? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. So what do you do when your manager wants to manage, you know, a modern baseball Fire game? Fire him! <laughs> oh, sorry. Jump to and conclusions. your general manager or president of baseball operations hands him a team that's old school in the purest sense of the word. Alongside Sounds Alex and Grant like on Cardinals. BK. Yeah, BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So the Cardinals offseason plan was essentially, yo, we got to build a 1995 rotation for this team. Oh, that's that's what's going to make it work. And I'm talking both in terms of the age of the guys that are in the rotation, hey. but also the way that they go about it. Alex, the Cardinals... President of Baseball Operations, John Mosaluk, with his actions, not his words, has essentially said, it is more valuable for us to shorten the innings during the regular season by getting our starters to go deeper into games than it is to shorten them with the bullpen. That is what they have done by going out and signing Sonny Gray and more importantly, Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn. They value the innings that Gibson and Lynn are going to give them. And I think there's a case to be made that they could be proven correct on this. Now, I'm skeptical, I think would be the best word that I would use to describe my current view of the Cardinals pitching rotation, but I can at least see their perspective, even if I personally disagree with it. What I do find to be interesting, though, is I wonder how Ollie Marmel views this situation, because I think for a lot of Cardinals fans, right or wrong, their perspective, their view of Ollie is that he wants to get guys out of there early. He does not want your starter facing the third time through because, analytically speaking at least, that's the quote-unquote correct way to view things. You shouldn't have your starter going out there and facing Kyle Schwarber three times. Otherwise, he's going to get shellacked because Schwarber, when he faces the pitcher for the third time, dude, the numbers are like Babe Ruth out there. So, yeah, pitch better. try to avoid that. Good point. But in this scenario... The Cardinals are essentially saying it's more valuable for us in the regular season to have our starter pitch to Kyle Schwarber that third time through the order. So, Alex, if you're Ollie Marmel, how are you viewing this situation? How do you view the way that you should utilize these pitchers? I, I mean, if I'm Ollie Marmel, I'm going to go about it the way that's going to be best for my team on the long term. And that is probably looking at the scenario with Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson and saying, hey, I know that we shouldn't throw you back out there for the third time against this lineup, but guess what? Our bullpen is taxed from the last couple of days and I got nobody else to go to. I need these guys rested. I need the mileage to be at its best with them. So you guys Guys were brought in to provide innings. Go out there and give me innings. Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, unfortunately, are kind of going to be pawns in this chess game of the upcoming season for the Cardinals to where, yeah, you want them to go out there and pitch well and you want to put them in the best position to succeed. But if I'm Ali Marmol, I'm looking at Kyle Gibson and Lance Lynn and saying every fifth day, you guys better plan to give me six to seven innings because we need length out of you too. That's why you were brought here. Now, how will Ali Marmol do this? Frankly, I don't know what he's going to be, but I can I can understand from his perspective all of the pressure that's on him this season and how you've got to get the most wins possible probably by the All-Star break because if you don't, you might be gone as the manager. So I think he's going to manage it a little bit differently of the in terms of hey, not smart to put these guys out there the third time to the rotation. For Ollie, wins are going to be as important as ever in the first couple of months. So somebody from the text line mentioned this and I I think it's a totally fair way to look at it. 3143999646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Said guys, I think it's a little tough to be able to diagnose what 
Ollie Marmol wants to do because the pitchers last year seemingly had 90 pitches or more in the fifth inning every time that they were going out there. That's true. Alex, when I looked at this last year, because I was frustrated by people saying that Ollie takes his pitchers out too early. It just was not true. The Cardinals had guys going 100-plus pitches as, as often as just about any team in the majors last season. So their pitchers were throwing a lot of pitches, The problem was their pitchers weren't very good, and so they had to throw a lot of pitches to get through four or five innings. It's like you had Jack Flaherty going out there, and he'd be at 95 pitches, giving up three runs through four innings. Are you going to go ahead and throw him out there for the fifth inning to get one batter? I mean, I guess you could, but does it really help you to do that? No, probably not. What you're hoping is this year your guys are more, um, they're, they're better at getting efficiency, out of their starters this year. See what you did there. Great job by you. They find a way to get through six innings with 100 pitches instead of through four or five innings with 100 pitches. And that's got to be the job of Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson. And frankly, that's got to be the job of Ollie Marmel. If this is the way that they're building their team, Alex, I believe that the best coaches will find a way to bend whatever it is that they do philosophically, whether it's football, basketball, NHL, anything. They have to bend to what the talent is that they have been handed by their president of baseball operations in this scenario or GM and football, whatever. The best NHL coaches can win with a grinded out team and they can win with a rush team. The best NFL coaches, we've seen this with Bill Belichick, right? He will find a way to win with basically whatever it is that you hand him. Mike Tomlin, every year team can look a little different, right? He finds a way to get to nine wins. John Harbaugh, that dude won with Joe Flacco as his quarterback, and now he's winning with Lamar Jackson as his quarterback. Andy Reid put together an offense around Michael Vick. He put together an offense around Kyle Cobb. Like Whoever <laughs> the quarterback is for these great coaches, they will find a way to get the most out of them. To bring it all back to Ollie Marmel, Ollie has to find a way to get the most out of these innings eaters. And the way to do that is, is to bend to what the president of baseball operations has handed you. That means sticking with them longer than what you're comfortable with. And that may lose them individual games this year. But instead of playing for that game that day, the goal has to be much like it was with Ryan Helsley, where, hey, we're not going to go back-to-backs. We're not going to go three out of four. We are playing this year with Ryan Helsley to get you to the finish line. The goal should be this year, if we play this right with the back-end starters in our rotation – it will make us better over 162 because our bullpen will be fresher over 162. Our bullpen will be prepared to get into the playoffs when we get to October. So those guys that are out there, in some ways, they're sacrificial lambs, Alex, to your point. Give us six innings. Hopefully you keep us in the game. We can win as often as we lose. And at the end of the season, if we go 500 in our starts by our fourth and fifth starters, we're going to feel pretty good about where we're at. This is the other reason why I think the Cardinals should be aggressive still and go in to get another starting pitcher, another guy at the top of your rotation, because now you've got six guys and you're not going to run a six-man rotation, but Lance Lynn or Kyle Gibson or even Steven Matz can become that long man out of the bullpen for you. And when you need to get one of those guys out early, you're still not using the bullpen. You're still using a guy that you view, hey, he can give us four innings in this spot, so we're still... You need to have a safety net for this bullpen, which I know sounds awful to say, but this is the bullpen you've built. You haven't gone out there and upgraded it. You don't have enough arms to really trust. So if you're going to be aggressive in one more area, I'd say, why not look at another starting pitcher and say, man, we are set right now. So we don't have to do this two times through the order. And he's coming out of the lineup because if that's how you operate with the exception of Sonny Gray, 
I'm very concerned that if that's how you're going to go, you're going to be pulling guys in the third or fourth inning. How many times? How many teams? Do you think last year, Alex, allowed their pitchers to face the third time through the order more often than the Cardinals? How many teams? It's a BK game, Grant, so we know how this works. I'll say three. Hmm. Grant, how many teams do you think allowed their their starting pitchers to face the third time through the order more often than the Cardinals last year? More batters faced by their starting pitchers third time through than the Cardinals. I'm going to go zero. Ah, well, no, you went you a little low. There. You didn't understand damn. the BK It's game. two. Alex, you were pretty damn close on this. The so Phillies fun. were number one, which makes sense. You're going to have a ton of opportunities for the front two starters in that rotation to see the third time through because they're awesome. They're great. And when they faced them, they had a 4-7 ERA. Pretty damn good given the fact that the third time through, you're supposed to be terrible. Second was the Houston Astros. Again, that makes sense. Think about the pitchers that are in their rotation. The Cardinals, third. When they faced them the third time through last year, 6.6 ERA. That's got to be better. That's got to be what improves this year is not only are they facing them the third time through, but when they face them, they got to be a lot better than a 6.6 ERA the third time through. With Alex and Grant, I'm BK. Joey Vitale joins us next here on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now we're going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by the TV star. He's Joey Vitale, who was on Valley Sports Midwest for the pre-post and intermission last night. You can always hear him as well on 101 ESPN as part of the broadcast with Chris Kerber. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, man. I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. How you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. Ah, Way to go on Valley Sports. So good, so good, so good, guys. It was a great Christmas, uh, fabulous game last night at the Enterprise Center, and these Blues fans are starting to get quite spoiled when you look at that Chicago game before Christmas and then another stellar performance last night against the Dallas Stars. Joe, do you ever get overwhelmed at Christmas time when your kids open up Christmas gifts like I felt like I did this year? Oh, man, it's the uh, it's the entrance to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Those are actually Joey Vitale's gates to hell or the moment that you you open up the first gift. I actually don't blame him. It was very overwhelming, Joe. It, uh, you know, I, I always tend to think of, okay, if, if I could put a theme song to this moment in my life, like every now and then I'll play that game, you know, if it's like a peaceful, you know, is it a, is it a Doobie Brothers song? If, if you were around me on Christmas morning, uh, I don't know who sings it, but I think it's, you know, welcome to the jungle, baby, you're going to die. <laughs> You know, that's, that's, uh, Guns N' Roses. I, yeah. just, I just that that song. It just I feel it just like it, it's it's meant for Christmas morning when the kids they get up at five. Yeah, uh, my son Bodie decides to wake the entire house up. We are through presents by six a.m. The sun hasn't even popped up yet, and by seven a.m. everyone's having a complete meltdown. So it's 
it's the way she rolls, as they say, and I, I try not to complain. I put myself in this mess, and I'm going to have to figure out a way out of it. Joe, I, uh, I sat after they opened up all of the gifts, and I just stared at the basement of all of the toys, and I felt like a, uh, I felt like a man who just like witnessed a dead body or something. Because Defeated. Yeah, I didn't move, and I just kind of eyes wide open, didn't blink for a good 15 minutes. Like, what the hell am I going to do with all of this? On the plus side, all the instructions are super easy to read, Joe, yeah. and uh, they all make a ton of sense. And, and they're batteries easy are always to put included. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you just wait, BK, until uh, when your kids get a uh, Barbie dollhouse sent in from the grandparents where you gotta you got to spend about 14 hours putting this thing together with every nut, bolt, and screw, and, and platform, and bed. It's, it's a complete disaster. Yeah, yeah I, I will never forget Alex sending me and uh, T-Bone a picture of the brand new, just beautiful swing set, the backyard playground set mm-hmm. that he was going to put together. And uh, what was it, three months later yeah. that it all fell apart? Yeah. yeah. Great. Really I got it together you, in like two weeks, though, Joe, but then all of the wood started splintering <laughs> and it didn't stay up. And so three months later, they had to come out and take it down. I'm like, cool. What was that one week worth for me? Yeah, I tell you what, there is a there is a great way to kill someone with kindness. If there's someone like a family member that you don't necessarily get along with, but you got to play along, or if there's a friend that's not really your friend, but you got to get their kid a gift, you know, you know, we've all been there. I mean, I, I can give you plenty of examples. You know, one of our good friends about four years ago, she got us this like uh, a bungee cord springy horse. Have you guys seen these things? They're like on a platform, and it's like a stuffed animal horse that like your kids hop oh on. Oh my god! My mom can... just got my girls this. <laughs> oh, dude, these things take up the entire living room. Yes, are, they're the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm, sitting here, I'm sitting here looking at this thing. I come home, and I'm like, who, who, what is this? And he said, Oh, that's what you know. Toto got us for for Birdie for her birthday. I'm like. Where are we gonna put it? She's like, well, we can't get rid of it. She comes over a lot. They're gonna, she's gonna know. She's gonna ask for. I'm like, oh my god. So oh. we had this massive horse, the size of a Toyota Honda, and it is taking up our entire living room, and it, it's gonna stay there for a very long time, guys. Joe, the the whole we can't get rid of this because they will know has become yeah. a common uh, a common <laughs> phrase around the household in and the I last six it. months. I hate it. Joe, but, I'm gonna yeah. send you a, I'm gonna send you a picture of this horse when I get home because I know what you looks like. <laughs> I, I don't even have a basement anymore because this thing is just taking up the entire downstairs. Will will it fit inside your camera lens? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And it's just is sitting there. My daughter's afraid of it. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Just keep oh, it around, yeah. man. Oh. My daughter Summer was on that thing, honestly, for about three weeks straight. And that's when Brave was really a popular Disney movie. Yeah. So she would hop up there with her, um, her suction cup bow and arrow, and she'd be bopping away. And I'd have to rewind the scene where Merida's flying through the woods and smoking these targets. And, and you know, the arrows would fall off. She would fall off. She would start balling. have to do it all over again. We have videos. I'll, I'll send it to you. It, it is just, uh, like I said, life is good. That's all I have to say. Amen. The, the thing is, like, it's all great. Like it's all hey, gravy. It was a very we all good had a blast. Christmas. Good Christmas. <laughs> it's just you know sometimes you got to be able to blow off some steam as well. That's what this all is right. for. Joey Vitale is our guest. He's a wonderful blues analyst. You can hear him both on 101 ESPN and on Bally Sports Midwest. Joe, let's talk a little bit about these blues because last night Joel Hofer uh, stood on his head for this team. I liked that they went to him in that game. I think he earned that. First of all, how, what did you see from Joel Hofer that stood out to you last night? And uh, secondarily, would you consider going back to him on Friday night, Joe? Would you consider going to him against Colorado and Benner against Pittsburgh based on that performance? 
Sure. Yeah, no, it's a great question, BK. And, you know, the first thing I'll say about Joel, and I talked to him before the game yesterday, he found out that morning. I asked him if the coach would let him know sooner. He said, no, I walked into the rink, and he said, I found out, and I was just super excited. And we heard him in the post-game remarks. He's just out there having fun, and he's really starting to find his groove. I think the start of the year, he started out pretty good. He's kind of fallen off a little bit. But over these last two starts, he has battled back terrifically. Of course, the Florida Panthers game. Uh, wins that game for the Blues, and then last night, 39 of 40, as you mentioned, uh, certainly, certainly a spectacular performance for Joel Hofer. You know, the one thing I notice about him when I have a, when I have a conversation with him, and by the way, I love my conversations with him. He reminds you so much of Jordan Biddington. You know, for such a young kid, he's just got such a stoic presence to him. Uh, very thoughtful answers. He takes his time. He paces very well, and he's he's not in a hurry. And, and he's a pretty pretty serious kid. You know, he likes to have fun, but in a very um, kind of subtle way. I like to say it. And I think that, you know, with that presence, you see how his personality off the ice is the same personality on the ice. Just a very poised kid, uh, poised under pressure, uh, very patient at times. And when one slides by him, he's always got a great response. So I love him for a lot of those reasons there. I think we're really starting to see this goaltender emerge as being a, a number one guy in the National Hockey League one day. Uh, to back up the second question there, uh, I said it on my remarks last night on the TV side of things. I think that Drew Bannister will go back with Joe Hofer. I might be wrong. But if it were me, I would go back with Joel Hofer for a couple of reasons. Number one, he's riding a great wave right now. You look at his last two starts, even when he came in relief for Tampa, he looked very good. And I think points are so incredibly crucial, guys. As we all know, this central division, everyone's winning and everyone else is losing outside this division. Even the Arizona Coyotes last night, you're down by, I think it was three or four goals. You come back to score five, just like the Blues, and you win that game. So another two points for the Arizona Coyotes. So you have to figure out a way to keep getting points. And Joel Hofer is finding ways to get you points right now. That, to me, is number one. And on the second side of that, uh, why I think they will go with Joel Hofer, at least I would, is because you need to continue to give Jordan Bennington the rest, I think, that he needs. This was a highlighted point coming into the season. They realized last year with Thomas Grice as a backup, not quite doing the job they needed, they overused Bennington throughout the month of January and February especially. Uh, they talk about his legs. You know, he's not overly strong. He's not overly big. You look at the last couple stars for him, I think the compete has certainly always been there. I think the focus and the preparation for Jordan is always there. He, he's a gamer. He's a pro. Uh, but I look at some of those goals when he gets yanked from Tampa. He allows five against the Blackhawks. Is it something that the staff has recognized that maybe his legs are getting a little bit tired? Do you give him just one extra day of rest and you put him in there against the Pittsburgh Penguins? Uh, that's number two. And the final one for me to answer your question, BK, is Colorado has seen a lot of Jordan Bennington. And the, the one goalie they have not seen a lot of is Joel Holper. So sometimes that could really play advantage uh, when you're looking at a good Colorado Avalanche team. Joe, uh, one other player that was really impressive to me last night was Scott Perunovic. Uh, you picked up the two assists, but man, I felt like he was always pinching in, keeping plays alive. Defensively, he was breaking up plays with his speed. I know he looked great with Marco Scandella, but but are you at the point now where you'd like to see more of Scott Perunovic in bigger roles? You know, I thought it was a great step for him last night. You know, and, and, and Alex, I don't, I don't think that I think the role he's in is exactly the role he needs to stay in, and I think that that's where he's going to find success. I think you see this a lot of times with especially young defensemen, whenever you can figure out a way to propel them up in the lineup, sometimes their game kind of falls off. I think that everyone's placed in a really good spot in this in the depth chart right now. I'm not going to let the Blues continue to stay healthy. But a Scott Prudovich who plays 15 minutes is going to be a very different Scott Prudovich that plays 23 minutes right now at the age he is with the experience and some of those tough matchups. I think that they are doing a really good job. I'm not going to say hiding him, but I think putting him out there against good matchups uh, throughout your opponent, 
that he has kind of really helped his confidence and helped him with his puck moving and jumping up in the rush, knowing that he's got a really good security blanket back there. So I think that the way they've used him last night is going to be the way they, they're going to continue to use him because even though his minutes are behind those top four guys and the Lettys and the Parecos, uh, you are starting to see more production from him. Uh, but from a standpoint of a special teams, that power play unit a couple of games ago, that was a difference maker. Remember, he was the guy at the top of the key, the quarterback running all that up there with Kevin Hayes. So I think that you're starting to see a bit more confidence and a little bit more of swagger. For Scott Prunovich, who, who as we know, has had a very tough uh, pro career up to this point, not only uh, from the personal standpoint of, of losing a former teammate this past year, which was a tragic accident, but the other one is, of course, the year before that, he you know blows out his shoulder, needs surgery. The year before that, blows out his wrist, he needs surgery there again. So he's missed two full seasons of pro hockey for injuries as well. So I think the way they've managed him has been really, really good. Joe, appreciate the time as always, man. Uh, happy New Year to you. Merry Christmas to you and your family as well. I got my holidays mixed up there. We ended up getting it done correctly. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on with us today. Great work last night on Valley Sports Midwest. We'll talk with you again next week, my friend. Hey, sounds good, boys. Always a pleasure talking to you as well, and we'll catch up with you next week. See you, Joe. Joe. That's Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN and Valley Sports Midwest. You saw him last night on the pre, post, and intermission over on Valley. If you were doing it wrong and weren't listening to my guy, Alex Ferrario. <sighs> but you can record it on Valley Sports Midwest, see everything that Joey Vitale has to say afterwards, compare it to what you heard from Alex, and see which one of them was right. Look, this, thing you is, can do. this is the most important thing. you got to always look for the good-looking Italian on the television. There you go. And there's Joey V. By the way, I'm so happy somebody else is going through the pain of that big horse in their house. Um, not, not well, <laughs> a little different conversation if you just caught that back end of that one. But I'm talking about the the bouncing horse that uh, Joe was talking about for his daughter. Coming up next, three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. I'm just so you, you guys have any questions, we'll get to them right here on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, who's just the most lovable person in sports radio. Very That's Grant true. Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario. Uh, Grant tops me on that one. Here on 101 ESPN, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Guys, let's start with this from the 314. Guys, do you think that the NFL has their window? Uh, who in the NFL has a window that's closing and who's in your mind is opening based on what we have seen so far this year? And do you believe that the Chiefs are at the beginning of their window of dominance coming to an end? I mean, we talked about this yesterday. I don't believe it's long term. I think as long as you have Patrick Mahomes, your window is always going to be open, uh, even if it dips a little bit. I, I, I don't know who's like I would say Detroit's window is opening. I think Detroit, even though their defense has struggled, Detroit within a year is going to be a juggernaut in that NFC in terms of window closing. Is it odd to say the Dallas Cowboys? And I know that you can't because how come? I just their offensive line is old. And yeah. I mean, if your offensive line is old, we've seen how long it can take to reshape an offensive line. Hence the New York Jets of what they've been trying to accomplish. Their DC is probably going to get a job this offseason. Yeah. And he's a really good defensive coordinator. And Dak's um, not getting any younger. And it sounds like he's going to get a new contract, which is going to pay him 55 to $60 million yeah. per year, which makes it more and difficult to build this around. This is the first season that it felt like the Cowboys were still searching 
for or were searching for a running game because Pollard was so good last year that you were ready to move on from Ezekiel Elliott. Some of this might have to do with the offensive line, but like the running game's not as dominant as it was. I would say a team that I think is opening their window is Houston. I was about to say that. Houston, I think yeah, like if I was going to build, if I was going to say, hey, this one team I think is at the beginning of a winning window, it would be Houston because the most valuable thing you could have is a rookie quarterback that you're certain is good because then you can immediately start throwing assets at it because CJ Stroud's going to cost them nothing for the next four years. And then it's going to be 50 plus million dollars on a per year basis. So now is when you have to capitalize. You got to get one while that guy is on his rookie deal. So I I think they're going to start adding as many pieces as humanly possible to the mix as soon as humanly possible. And I think they have a really good coach. So when you have that combination, that would be the team that I would throw in. The winning window is opening. Might have to figure out how to play defense because if Joe Flacco is throwing (laughs) dimes against you, that can't do that very long. That's where the resources need to go. You've got receivers. Nico Collins, really good. Tank Dell, really good. Mm -hmm. You've got Dalton Schultz is more than capable. He's fine. Add probably a little bit to your offensive line. Get a dynamic running back in there. Your offense is in a good spot. Now it's about adding pieces on the defensive side of the ball. I'll tell you another team I think's window is going to open next season as long as they get one piece figured out, and that's quarterback for the New York Jets. I think as long as they get a quarterback figured out, man, they're one piece away. Yes, but they're one piece away. You got a good defense. You've got some weapons there. You got some good running backs. You just got to get a quarterback. That's all they need. Is anybody's window closing this year? Like this version of the Chiefs window, I think you could say it's closing. If the Bills choke in the playoffs hard, I think their window will be closing because I think they'll just purge. That's fair. I think the Chargers window might be closing too. Was that ever open? Hmm? Was that ever open? Well, they thought it was, and then Brandon Staley was terrible. I'm, I'm with Grant. I don't think they ever had a window. Um, you were pretty high on Justin Herbert. You were like, well, this guy's amazing. Oh, I told you, the two teams that I fall for every year without fail, and they always fail me, are the Chargers and the Falcons. It's guaranteed. I'm going to think that that team's going to win 10 games, and they're going to end up winning five because that's how it works with the Chargers and the Falcons. I fall in love with the skill players, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, offensive line and defense, really important when we play football games nah. in November and December. Nah. Uh, anybody else? I, I don't really think so. I wonder yeah. about the Steelers window opening if they could get a quarterback, but I, I think they're kind of screwed at the quarterback yeah. position. I think they right are now. what they are right now. Yeah. Like the 49ers are in the middle of their window. I think the Eagles are kind of in the middle of their window. I'll be interested in the Colts when they have Anthony Richardson. Yeah. Like when he's healthy, does their window open a little bit more? Because it seems like they've got the right coach in place. You know who might be into entering the, the end of their window? The Vikings. They never had a That's window. a good one. Uh, the Jaguars. I, God, that was quick. <laughs> it, it opened and closed like that. I, I don't I don't know what's up there. Uh, I'm a little concerned about the long-term future of Trevor Lawrence. I, it's just been a weird year, and I know some of that is health-related for him, but he seems to have regressed from where he was a year ago, and that, that team in general just... Something's off there. So I, I I would say the Jaguars might be a team that is entering like the beginning of the end of that window because they're going to have to pay Trevor Lawrence very soon, which is going to make it more difficult to assemble the necessary talent around him. So I would say that's another one that I would keep an eye on there. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Alex, what was the best gift that you or your kids received this year for Christmas? Um, God, they got so many of them. I would probably say my mom got the girls a kitchen set 
And I mean, this is like a massive kitchen set with like two sides of it. They've got like an entire oven that they can mess with. I would probably say that was it. My wife got me golf clubs. Oh, so nice. um, that was that was definitely my my top gift. Grant. I think my favorite gift, and this is kind of lame, I think, but I got some Tim's boots that I've really been wanting for a while. Those things are like 200 and something dollars. Like, they are expensive. So I think that was my favorite thing, BK's probably. best gift was co- uh, cough drops from his wife. Ooh, I also got in, yeah. um, the Aussie blue shirt. Can you give it to Alex? Because he's over here spilling on himself. Yeah, you need a new shirt. No, no, I didn't even realize this was on me. This is what happens when you have kids, guys. All your shirts have stains on them, and you look down, and you're like, oh, Gross. I just see Alex in the middle of the break, like well, trying, to, trying cover to like it. cover it because people are probably staring at this big <laughs> red dot you on my shirt. You need to carry around one of those like Tide pins. <laughs> yeah. The problem is I don't know the stain is there because like if people can see on our YouTube channel, it's in like the top corner where my daughter like pukes. Yeah, just right by the nipple. Well, that's why you need no. to carry it around at all times so that when it happens. <laughs> How do you think the male anatomy works, my man? Because if that's where you said it is, that's no way. That's a different show. Other people talk about that in the air. We don't. We well, that's that a podcast. different male anatomy. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Uh, for me, my, my favorite gift that we got was my, my parents. I just flat out told them, like, listen. Luca does not need any more toys. We're good. What? Can you help us out with the basement? So we got we got dad. a little bit of money towards the basement. Kids always need toys. Hence my basement filled Again, with them. We, <laughs> we have that basement space yet, so we're going no. to build the basement space to allow for more of the toys when he gets a little six, bit. 636 is right. I should have said this. The best gift I got was getting to work with Tanner and Grant. Oh, that's right. Great point. Yeah. Not BK. Tanner and Grant. They, I believe they mentioned uh, working with BK. Was, was oh, no, well. I, did, I didn't see that one on there. You're looking at a different task. Oh, okay. Sorry. Coming up next, the Blues are at their best when they have a backup goalie that is pushing Jordan Bennington. Hofer seems to be doing exactly that. But is he pushing to him to the point where Hofer now takes over as the 1A with Benner serving as the 1B, at least for the foreseeable future? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Not thinking at all. I'm just going out there and having fun. Um, you know, I've been, uh, you know, fortunate enough to do this for a long time. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, every day is a blessing. So, um, yeah, just going out there and having fun. That was Joel Hofer after the game last night talking about how he's just not thinking on the ice. And Amen. sometimes, Alex, that is the simple answer is just go out there and play. It's what I do every day on this show. I come don't on think. and I don't think. That used to be ja- uh, Jack Flaherty's hashtag. Hashtag don't think. Wow. He probably should have thought a little harder. Joel Hofer mean. is you know, performing well right out there. now for the St. Louis Blues. And Alex, he's pushing Jordan Bennington. You've talked about this a lot over the last few years. Benner is at his best. When he has a backup that's pushing him to be better, when he has a backup that's struggling and like going through the same struggles at this point in the season as Jordan Bennington is, it doesn't typically go particularly well for either of them. Neither of them end up getting back on track, and boom, you go into a little bit of a downward spiral as a team. That's not what's happening here. You're seeing Joel Hofer pick up the slack when Jordan Bennington is taking a little bit of a step back. What are you seeing out of Hofer right now, and has he earned the opportunity that at least for the next you know week or so, while he's still performing well, he is the one A with Jordan Bennington serving as the one B. Yeah. I, so so first of all, to your point of of him playing better when he's got somebody pushing him, like if you look at his numbers, obviously this season they don't look great, but it's just this recent stretch of him playing a lot. But 
His best seasons, of course, that Stanley Cup year, Jake Allen. Uh, the next season, Jake Allen. The next year, Ville Husso. Ville Husso. But that was when Ville Husso uh, started to decline, if you want to call it that, whatever it may be. But then Bennington kind of stepped up towards the end after Husso went on his run. And then last season, last season, it was probably arguably his worst year. But he played 60 games and it was Thomas Grice. And I still think he played well. So he's always had somebody behind him pushing, which is always a good thing for teams, specifically the St. Louis Blues, to have. But look, Joel Hofer's showing confidence right now. And I think it's very important to make it clear, this does not mean that there's a goaltending controversy. Because for some reason, when you talk about a guy overtaking another guy's job, oh, there's controversy. No, this is a 1A, 1B. This is what the Blues wanted. Joel Hofer was viewed as the next starting goaltender for the Blues whenever this contract is done with Jordan Bennington. And if the Blues want to have success, they've got to have this version of Joel Hofer. Their best opportunity to win hockey games and get into the playoffs is a 50-50 split with Bennington and Joel Hofer. And then when you get to the playoffs, you're well-rested, like Joey talked about with Jordan Bennington, and he goes on the run for you in the postseason. But to get there, you need Joel Hofer at certain times when your number one falls down a peg. And that's what Jordan Bennington's going through. Last night, Joel Hofer played the puck as well as Jordan Bennington does. He killed plays much like Bennington does. He made the important saves. And now you've gone two consecutive games where he started or he's been the best player on the ice because that Florida Panthers was the exact same situation. You ride the hot hand. And then when Jordan Bennington, because this is about as competitive of a player as the Blues have in that locker room, when Bennington gets that next start, which in my opinion is like Joe's, start him on Saturday. He's going to come out with a a more of an edge because Joel Hofer just performed in back-to-back games. And that's the best version of any goaltender in teams. But especially Benner, because especially. that dude is uber competitive. And we see we see yeah. this in the postseason. When the stakes are high for him, that is when he performs. He's a guy that I mean, the reason why he performed as well as he did in 2019 to a degree is he was fighting for his NHL life, man. Yeah. That was his one real opportunity to become an NHL starting caliber goalie. He had been, you guys know the story, been passed up a million different times in the blue system and he finally gets his chance. He's not going to let it go. Well, now he is the established starter, but when somebody is trying to take that from him, which is the job of Joel Hofer, Joel Hofer should be thinking right now, this is my chance yeah. to become the number one he goalie. He should be in thinking, the, I'm never going to come out of this net. And that's the best way to get the most out of Jordan Bennington is by almost like putting at risk his opportunity of being that number one guy. I don't think it actually is, but he can convince himself in his own head the way that Michael Jordan did in the documentary that we all watched. Hey, whether it's real slights or perceived slights, those are the things that elite-level athletes have to build themselves up on. Grant, what did what did you think about Hofer last night and the idea of starting him on Friday? Yeah, and you mentioned it, Alex. I hate the term goaltender controversy. <laughs> I think when you have a goalie that's a backup playing as well as Joel Hofer is, you have a goaltending blessing. Like You look at the teams that have success in the playoffs, especially when it comes to goaltending, it's the teams that don't ride one goalie the entire regular season all the way through. Mm-hmm. Just look at last year. Sergei Bobrovsky didn't start very much in the regular season. Philip Grubauer didn't start very much in the regular season. Aiden Hill, same thing. And all of those goalies were really good in the playoffs. And then you look at some of the goalies that do start a lot of games. Connor Hellebuck, not very good in the playoffs. Jake Ottinger, 
okay in the first round, but after that, he struggles. Like Because you you wrote him too much. Exactly. When this happens, Frederick Anderson, it happens to him all the time. Yeah. You can't have one goalie and rely on him through an entire regular season and then expect him to have success in the playoffs. And just look at Jordan Bennington and what he's done. Like, 2018-19, he played 30, he had 30 starts in the regular season, and then he went on his run. Mm-hmm. The next two seasons in the playoffs, he was iffy. He started 50 games and then 41 games the next year. And then the year after that, when he played really well in the 2022 playoffs, yep. he started 37 games that season. And that's the competition where Billy Huso had taken over in the middle of the year because exactly. Bennington struggled so much. And then Huso ran with it. Bennington got his All the opportunity. Way to the playoffs, by the way. And Bennington stepped in and basically ran the rest of the way. You want him fresh. It's like the Ryan Helsley conversation. You want your bullpen arms fresh in the postseason because they're going to be the ones that help you get through October. You need your starters to get you get you there. You need your relievers to get you through it. Jordan Bennington is basically your closer. He's the guy gets to the postseason as fresh as humanly possible with that dude in the net, and you're going to have a chance because he is special once you get there. But if you start him 60 games like they had to last year, he's not going to be fresh. There's no chance. And like Obviously, last year went wrong for so many different other reasons as well. But I I heard Alex you talking about this yesterday on the postgame show with Kerber, and I'll, I would tell Kerbs this. I just f- totally disagree with what he said on this where he said, hey, if you can get 60 games out of Bennington, you should go ahead and start him there. It's an old-school mentality, and I understand that. I, I just don't view him as being a 60-game starter in net, and that is not a shot against Jordan Bennington. I view him as being more valuable than that. I view him as being a guy that, I don't care about the 60 games. You can give somebody else the 60-game starter in net for the regular season. I care that he's going to win you 16 games when you get to the postseason, and that's what he's capable of doing by starting 45. And if you get 45 out of him during the regular season, and then you get the best out of him in the postseason— Man, you just need that backup goalie that can start the other 30 to 35 for you. And I think right now they might have that with Joel Hofer. Well, it's a 1A, 1B situation, and that is the best-case scenario for the Blues. And that's what the Blues wanted. And to Curbs' point last night, where I would disagree with on him is, like, he, he said that Bennington gives you the best chance to win. And I do agree with that. Every time Bennington and Z- and Bennington's in net, Long I feel like— term, the, I do. I don't agree right now. Well, but that's what I was going to say. Like, Joel Hofer right now deserves some some credit— of giving this chance team a chance to win when he's in the game in the net, and that's why I'd be looking at him. Any opportunity I have, you ride the hot hand. And right now, Joel Hofer's it. Somebody texted in and said the only thing and the only problem with this is if Bennington has a couple of bad games and Hofer plays well, how do you keep Binner from getting in his own head? First of all, that's a Binner problem. That's not a Blues problem. I don't expect that to be an issue for him. It was two years ago, not now. But the way that you avoid that is you go out there when you get the call and you say, this is my net now, and you take it back. That's that competition. And, man, this is a massive benefit for the Blues because Grant and I were talking about this last night. You look around this Western Conference, Central Division specifically, your ad, your your advantage over all of these teams in terms of if you get to the playoffs, you might be able to do at least a little damage is because Colorado doesn't have a number one goaltender. Edmonton doesn't have a number one goaltender. LA's relying on Cam Talbot. Um, you've got Nashville, who's, you say Soros, is usually gassed by the end of the season. And they're just not good enough. Same with Jake Ottinger. Arizona doesn't have a goalie that they can rely upon. Connor Hellebuck always seems to struggle once you get to the postseason. You're probably one of the best goaltending tandems in the Western Conference. If you look at the Central Division, it's you, Winnipeg, and Dallas yeah. that I trust your goalies. And, and right now, I That's would it. say Aiden Hill is the one I trust more than anybody in the Western Conference, but I don't trust Maybe Logan. Maybe Demko. Demko's been really good Demko, yeah, but I don't trust their backup goaltenders like I trust both Bennington and Joel Hofer. And that might not matter in the playoffs, but like if you just specify the, the Central, because that's who you're going to play most in the, in the first round, uh, Colorado I don't trust. 
Uh, I don't trust what Arizona has. Nashville has a really good goalie, but I, I think the rest of their team around him is not yeah. particularly good. Minnesota, Chicago, like you just the beat Blues, Dallas twice. Winnipeg, it's Dallas. But those are the three teams that I think have the the goalies, the front line goalies that you are concerned about. The way that you would be front line pitching in the postseason, like those yeah. are those are the teams that have those starters that you go up against. You're like, man, it's gonna be tough. Tough to get anything off of them the first six innings. Hopefully, we can get to their bullpen. Hopefully, we get them out of the games. So that way, we can get to their bullpen. That's essentially what it is for them. Alex, I did want to ask you one other thing about the Blues before we get to NFL quick hitters on the other side. We used to always talk about how Craig Berube seemed to have a really good handle on his team. Like when when a change needed to be made, whether it was a lineup move, a guy moving up or down, a, a goaltending decision, or even in game, right, where he's going to sp- send out a certain line to be able to respond or to be able to hold the lead where it is. Like, he he just had a really good grasp for that stuff. He had a good feel about him. I think we're starting to see the Bannister might have some of those qualities. And it's early. It's only six games. I don't want to make too much of it yet, but these are the kinds of things that we got to be watching for as he's kind of getting his audition for potentially being the long-term answer as a head coach. I liked that he went with Joel Hofer yesterday. You rewarded a young guy for performing better than your number one goalie. You didn't go based on status. You said, you know what? This guy's our best opportunity to win right now. We're coming out of a really important stretch of games for us. This team has some good feelings about it. Let's capitalize on that by putting Joel Hofer in net. That takes some gumption, man, to do that over your franchise goalie. I don't care what anybody says. That was a statement to the team that if you perform, you're going to play. And that's what he did yesterday, and I think he might do it again on Friday. We'll see with that one. But I think he had a good feel about that. I think he rewarded, uh, or he was rewarded last night for a move to go with Buchnevich, Thomas, and Sunquist as his top line over the final five minutes of the game. Alex, as they decided to pull their goalie last night, D- Dallas did. I thought it was really interesting, the response in that moment by Bannister. He did not have Kairou on the ice, which is something that Barubi did at times as well in these spots. I want to be fair to him. But he decides to go Booch, Thomas, and Sonny. He does not play the fourth line the final five minutes of the game, the other two not named Sonny. And he essentially replaces Sonny or swaps Sonny and Kairou in the lineup. So you're playing your top three lineups, but switching uh, Kairou onto the fourth line, putting Sonny onto the top line. And you're just going with all of your responsible forwards for the final five minutes as you're trying to go out there and just put an end to this game. Bleed out the clock, right? Smart decision by him. I think a really good move by the coaching staff. The fourth line played six minutes in the final 11 minutes of that game. I just think he has a good feel about Mm -hmm. what the team needs, who the guys are that should be rewarded with ice time. We talked about it earlier with Joe, where Scott Perunovich is playing in good situations where he's going to have success and he's not being asked to do too much. That first game he went out there, he's like, we are going to make a statement. Colton Pareko, you're playing 26 minutes tonight. Hasn't done it since, but had a good feel that that's what he needed in that game. I think Bannister might have some of that Midas touch stuff that we talked about with Berube. Not every decision will be rewarded, but so far it kind of feels like it has. This is the benefits of interim head coaches, and uh, nothing to take away from Drew Bannister. But you don't really, you don't really have the pressure of being the head coach where you got to go out there and you got to win hockey games and you got to get your best players and you have people telling you what you need to do. You go out there and you say, "Bleep it, I'm doing my own thing." Yeah. And, and Drew Bannister's doing that right now. Like he looks at this and says, "Look." 
and, and he's got the respect of a lot of these players because they know Drew Bannister. Like Jordan Cairo played for Drew Bannister in a full season. So when he looks at him and he says, Cairo, you're not going out there late in this game because we need to shut this game down. Cairo might be upset, but he gets it. When you look at a fourth line of a McEachern and a Sammy Blay, you guys are not going to see the ice for the final five minutes. Yeah, get it. Because right now we need to win this hockey game. This is the benefit of an interim head coach to know who your guys are. He's starting to learn some nuances and knowing when guys work, when guys don't work. And he understands and the team understands that, look, if you're not going to give him what he wants, he's going to sit you. You saw it with Pavel Buchnevich in yep. game number three under Drew Bannister. So this is the benefit of the interim head coach. And for some odd reason, to none of us know it's why it works so well in the first couple of years, and then once you get deeper into it, the message starts to go away because you get sick of it. But for right now, everybody understands where Drew Bannister's coming from, and when you got the team support, you have success. Well, and we talked a lot about accountability surrounding this whole Baruby firing, Bannister yeah. coming in. We've seen him in almost every game he's coached. We have, but the other side of that is rewarding players when they're playing well. Mm-hmm. Alexei Torpchenko is blocking shots with his face right now, <laughs> and Literally. he just had the second most ice time in a game all season for him. He hasn't last moved night. from the third line since Drew Bannister took over. Every single game, he's been a third line player. He played 15-27 last night. That's massive for a guy that we all thought was a fourth liner. And I asked Drew Bannister after I think that. He still is for what it's worth, long term. Yeah, but probably. He's I mean, being rewarded for his play as he should be. There's nobody right now on this right. team that is more deserving of him. And I mean, I asked Drew Bannister that first game, like, you know, what's the ceiling of an Alexei Torpchenko? And he says, you're seeing it. He's a guy that works hard. He's a guy that it's tough to get the puck away from, and he's fast. And yeah. He says if he uses his six foot six frame, he's going to be somebody that gets rewarded more times than not. By the way, Marco Scandella, another good game by him last night. He's also taking pucks off of the face. Marco Scandella for the Norris Trophy. Why Short-handed not? goal, game-winning goal. I mean, sure. Show me. Uh, he's better than Quinn Hughes. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Low bar to clear. Well, All right, coming up next, true. let's dive into some NFL quick hitters, including a guy who was suspended from his team, Alex. For just making one of the dumbest moves that you could possibly make. We'll let you hear it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some... NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. You should open up that gift that you get where your wife got you for Christmas, those cough drops. He's Alex, that's Grant, I'm BK. I felt like I was done with this. I thought I was done with the cough. <laughs> and somehow it's come back and it's it might be even worse right now than it was previously. I'm this is your Michael Jordan flu game and yesterday was and the day before that and last week was and actually about a month ago was. What I've learned is I, I was always somebody that got one cold during the spring and one cold during the winter. Like every year, just ride it in so if the weather's changing, I'm gonna get sick. It'll last a couple of weeks and then we'll be good, right? What I've learned with Luca is that I get that first one and then it just continuously, oh, yeah. whatever the next thing yeah. is, you think that's just added bad. on to the next list. Where do they start going to like daycare with other kids? That's what he's doing because oh, he is goes he? to daycare with his cousin. Oh. Uh, he's at her house and she goes to school. Oh, yeah. So, so two days a week. So yeah. she's bringing stuff home that he then is exposed to. So, yeah, the way I like to tell people is our house is always viral. Not in the good way. All right, Alex, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. The finalists were announced yesterday, 15 finalists for the 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame. This is going to be trimmed to five during Super Bowl week, but right now we're down to 15. The list of 15 is Eric Allen, Jared Allen, Willie Anderson, Jari Evans, 
Dwight Freeney, Antonio Gates, Rodney Harrison, Devin Hester, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Julius Peppers, Fred Taylor, Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis, Darren Woodson. I know that's a lot of names Hot for those damn. of you at home, but Alex, if you had to make a list of five, the five guys that you think should get into the Hall of Fame this year, this does not mean you think the other 10 guys are not Hall of Famers, but for this year, you would put those five players into the Hall. Who would you go with? Torrey Holt. Yep. Antonio Gates. Okay. Julius Peppers, mm-hmm. Reggie Wayne, Patrick Willis. Reggie Wayne mm-hmm. over Andre Johnson. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think there was more of a dominant stretch with Reggie Wayne than there was with Andre Johnson. I think Andre Johnson is a no doubt first ballot Hall of Famer for me. Like, I, I guess he's not technically a first ballot. I, I think that's a joke, but I would have had him in as a first ballot Hall of Famer personally. I think for me, I would go Dwight Freeney, Antonio Gates. Andre Johnson, Julius Peppers, and Patrick Willis. No Torrey Holt. Not this year. Wow. I think Torrey Holt is a Hall of Famer. I think he should already be in. He should not be on the ballot this year. He should have already been in. This is a tough ballot for me to put him in on because of some of the other alternatives that are out there. I think there's more than five Hall of Famers on this list. I think personally that Devin Hester should be a Hall of Famer. Oh, I agree with that. He's He's one of the guys that like... I think he's like the you best. can't talk about that era of NFL football without yeah. bringing up Devin Hester and what he did in the return game. He completely altered the way that a Super Bowl went. So for me, I, I think he is eventually going to be a Hall of Famer. Same thing is true for me with Torrey Holtz. Um, I just wouldn't have him over those other five guys that I listed yeah. personally. I just I, I think the dominance that was Torrey Holt, I would have him over Andre Johnson. And I mean, the argument can be Reggie Wayne or Andre Johnson, but yeah, Holt would have been the first one. The thing with Devin Hester is, and why I do agree, he's the Hall of Famer. How many guys in their career made other teams debate if they should kick the ball off or if they should just, you know, kick for the field, kick for the end zone and just do the touchback? Yeah, I mean, he, it was him. He he altered game plans because of how dominant he was in the punt return. And, oh. I, and I think that might be why he has a little bit of an advantage because it's such a distinct skill set from all the other players players on that list so he might just get in because he is the best at what he does in his skill set someone texted in and said this is why you guys don't vote for the hall of fame you're idiots i don't know uh i'm I'm assuming they would want tory holton i I don't know who they would say that they wanted Uh, they would like uh jari evans in darren woodson fred taylor i like fred taylor i I don't know if that's who they want in or not i'm just throwing names out there yeah um, I would not have Jari Evans on my. I don't list even really things. remember the career of Jari. Jared Evans. Allen is a really interesting one. Jared I, Allen, I think I feel he's like, the Hall of Very Good, but yeah. he's like on the on the cusp of getting into. And, the and hall like of as fame. great as he was, like, what do you got to show for it? That's the part that I always ask. Yeah, but defensive ends, that's tough. The only guy, the only position that I really value, like the Super Bowl stuff for, is like it can be an added benefit to somebody. But I'm not going to hold it against you if you're a defensive end that didn't make it to the to the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm didn't. Julius Peppers won. Defensive player of the year, didn't he? I believe so. And I don't think Jared Allen did. No. Maybe I'm wrong. That's the part where it's like, at least you have but if something. you're like a multi-time All-Pro, yeah. the All-Pros is really what I value. Because Pro Bowl can become such a popularity competition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you get in once and people know your name, especially on the de- on the offensive line. like You get in once, people know your name, you're just going to be a 12-time Pro Bowler. But mm-hmm. the All-Pro stuff, I think, is a little bit more uh, telling yeah. on where you rank among That's the best point. at your position for that era. All right. Next thing up, Alex, I thought this was one of the most unbelievable storylines that I've seen in the NFL so far this year in a season full of crazy storylines. Do you see this Shire Alexander story? So I saw it and I didn't see what happened in the game. Okay. 
So, pregame, they put out their uh, their captains, right? They all the Green Bay Packers have their captains. They go to midfield. Well, they announced their captains pregame, and when they did so, Jair Alexander was not on the list of players that should be going out for the coin toss because that's where your captains go. And yet, he was standing out there. And not only was he standing as part of the captain group for the coin toss, he was the one that called the toss as it was flipped. So, they end up winning the coin toss. And Jair Alexander says, oh, we'll go out on defense. Here's the problem with that. When you say we'll go on defense, you're not necessarily saying we are deferring the ball to the second half. So, what the refs could have done, they didn't, but they could have done is say... Okay, so you want to kick. You are electing to kick in this half. The team can technically then return in this half and in the second half because you screwed up with what you were doing for the coin toss. Again, all of this took place while Jair Alexander was not named a captain for this game. I didn't realize that could happen. After the game, he was asked about it. Here's what Jair Alexander had to say to the media. So were you supposed to be a captain? Because the team announces the three game captains and you were the fourth and you called a toss. What happened there? It's only suiting, you know. I don't think Coach knew I was from Charlotte, you know. So So you just did that on your own? The guys backed me up, you know. So they they knew I was from here. Do you realize you almost made a big mistake on the call, though? What'd I do? Well, you said we want to go on defense. Yeah. No, he was just like, defer. I was like, yeah. Everybody was like, yeah. Everybody was laughing. I'm like, what are y'all laughing at? Pretty obvious what I'm asking for. So did anyone say anything to you when you got back to the no. sideline? Why would they? First of all, first of all, that might be one of the best post games <laughs> I've ever amazing. heard in my life. Also, didn't know that Jair Alexander sounded like that. He sounded like a character from Saturday Night Live. This felt like a skit. I mean, this this <laughs> felt like it could have been a skit said, on SNL. He said, "I I don't know like if the, the coach, Chappelle show." He said, "I don't think the coach knew I was from Carolina." So you went out there yourself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't do obviously. Anything, I didn't Why do anything wrong? I? You know, you did it wrong. Well, they said deferred. I'm like, I yeah, we want the ball. I mean, you know who he sounded like? He sounded like the Eddie Murphy character uh, from Little Rascals, who he who he imitated. Oh my God, what is his name? Somebody's going to be able to text it in. Buckwheat, that's who it is. Eddie Murphy did him on Saturday Night Out Live. That's who Jair Alexander sounded like. So the reason why I find this all so funny, he's now been suspended. Well, see, that's that's what I call... <laughs> the Packers were like, yo, no, this is unacceptable. You can't just make yourself a captain and potentially okay. screw everything up. So to the where Packers... We're going to have to kick off. Yeah, the Packers. Okay. I thought uh, the league suspended him. I'm like, Packers. that's stupid. Okay. Packers suspended him for a violation of team rules, which... Yeah. Based on that media scrum, I really would love to be a fly on the wall for that conversation. Oh, my God. Suspending him. So Packers bring him in. So why'd you go out there, Jair? Well, I don't think the coach knew I was from Carolina. So you just decided, yeah. Uh, Of course. I didn't know you wrong. I looked at the team. I said, I got this, boys. And none of the team was like, dude, you can't go out there. No, 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 no. I'm good. At that point, you're already out there. The mics are on. Like, the refs have their microphones on for the coin flip. <laughs> what are you going to do? What? Not go what? out there? Like What an idiot. <laughs> and you know you almost screwed the game up. What'd I do? <laughs> Just absolutely tremendous. All right, last thing here. Uh, there was a report yesterday that the Broncos are they're done, man. They're done with Deshaun, or with uh, Russell Wilson. They have decided that they are going to cut him in the offseason, which is just an amazing report to get in mid-December. <laughs> There's one game to play. They said, hey, two. They said, oh, hey, yeah. mid-March, he's going to be cut. 
It's like, okay, three months from now, we're going to be able to get uh, get in on that Russell Wilson sweepstakes. Here's the question, Alex. Twofold. One, is this the worst trade that you can remember in the NFL? And two, does it alter at all Russell Wilson's career with the Broncos? Does it alter at all your view of him as a future Hall of Famer? Um... I don't think it alters the view of him as a Hall of Famer because, like, you can't just forget what happened in that era in Seattle. I mean, now, granted, that was a lot of his defense, but, I mean, the guy was a dominant quarterback there for a short span of time. I don't know if he is a Hall of Famer, but, like, you can't take that away. As much as I want to say it's it's the worst trade, I, I mean, I understand it's going to cost him a ton of money, but at least for right now, it doesn't feel like the players that were drafted in that trade are going to make it such a bad trade on the other side. Like right now, I think I'm still looking at the Carolina Panthers as the worst trade in, in franchise history or in NFL history. Oh, wow. Because you're talking about DJ Moore, who has been a massive piece for that Chicago Bears offense, and the fact that they're still going to have the first overall pick this year, depending on what they go with that. And I mean... I don't think I'm going to put that one up there as the worst in the NFL history. It's probably top three, top five, but not the worst. So here's what the uh, Broncos ended up trading away when you take into account the draft picks that they gave up, Alex. Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, Charles Cross, an offensive tackle for a starting tackle for the Seahawks. Boye Mafe, a defensive end. Tyreek Smith, Devon Witherspoon, a cornerback for them. And Derek Hall, a defensive lineman for Seattle as well. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a lot, a lot to give up. I would say this. I think the worst trade that we've seen in recent years is another one that we saw uh, for a quarterback in the NFL, and it's the Deshaun Watson trade. Yeah, that's the other one. I think Deshaun, when you take into account the contract and the the capital that they gave up, that was worse than what the Broncos ended up giving up for uh, for Russell Wilson. And I don't view this as something that should take away from him as a Hall of Famer. He was one of the best players in the NFL for nearly a decade. Mm -hmm. And I know his teammates hated him. And yeah, you should probably take that into account. Terrell Owens, in my opinion, is also a Hall of Famer. One of the best wide receivers we've ever seen in the league and also a bad teammate. It happens. Uh, At the quarterback position, does it matter more? Yeah, it does. But he also took his team to multiple Super Bowls. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So I think he's a Hall of Famer, should be a Hall of Famer, despite what's happened to him in the last couple of years here in Denver. Yeah. So uh, I... I mean, I think Kurt Warner was a clear-cut Hall of Famer, and Kurt Warner had, like, six prime years in the NFL with a bunch of years in the middle that weren't very good. Um, Both of them deserving. If we just look at, hey, the six best years for Russell Wilson, he's definitely a Hall of Famer to me. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the junk drawer, but coming up next, for the first time in a long time, Alex, The vast majority of the faces in Major League Baseball are all playing for contenders. What does that mean for the Cardinals? Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I can't decide if that was the best or the worst update I've ever oh, heard from Grant Francis. Both. All he needed to do was add a little Bradford alliteration at the beginning of it. And <laughs> what do you think Bradford would have done today? Uh, St. Louis's Snuggerud slashes through Switzerland. I like that. Maybe that'll be my next one. 
No, man. Make <laughs> we'll, it your own. We'll workshop Make it. Make yours the puns. Now, you're the one critiquing my updates I'm right now. I'm not critiquing it. This guy is. It's on me. I got excited. Maybe too excited when That's you did true. it. That's my role around I here. saw the, the pride the on your face. Likes. Yeah. Grant's the guy that everybody it's, loves, and Alex is the one that you either really like him or really hate him. Yeah. There's really no one. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the kind of guy you're like, you know what? I'd like to hang out with them every once in a while. I don't feel like that is your role here. Uh, um, you say it all the time. We never hang out. And I'm like, because you suck. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> kind of blacked out there. for. All right, let's get into hey, it. The sun's um, for the first time in a long time, Alex, the vast majority of the faces across Major League Baseball are playing for contenders. I saw this yesterday. MLB Network ran down their, their top five faces of the sport, right? We do this all the time where you kind of get into the offseason and you reset, okay, where are we at at this point in time for Major League Baseball? I think it's fair to say Shohei Otani is officially the face of the sport. Yeah. That's both based on his contract and also, man, the guy is modern-day Babe Ruth, but better. Like he's, he's, he's better as but a— not a Hall of Famer. Obviously. He's better as a two-way player than what Babe Ruth was in his career. So— I think he is that guy. Other players that I think you could put up there, though, right now on the the team photo of the faces of the sport, I think Ronald Acuna Jr. has arrived at that place in his career. I think Bryce Harper is up there, if not the top, one of the top guys. Mm -hmm. Mookie uh, Betts, I think, is up there. And then I think Juan Soto is still one of the faces of baseball. And I think now that he's in New York, we will see that even to a greater degree. Is there anybody else, Alex, that you would put into this category of the faces of the sport that are in that same ilk as those top four or five guys that I just mentioned? I mean, I think I did. You say Juan Soto? I did. Okay, then no. That would be my list. Okay. I wasn't listening to the back end of your list. I stopped at Shohei. It's all good, man. We uh, we got there. Sometimes you drag on a little bit, and I'm like, come on, man. Just get to the point, you know? So those are the faces of the sport, and every single one of them now plays for a contender. Yeah. This was not the case when Shohei Otani was in L.A. just anguishing away with the L.A. Angels, who you knew were never going to make the postseason. But now it is. Now he's with the Dodgers. You've got Acuna with the Braves. You've got Harper with the Phillies. Mookie with the Dodgers. Soto with the New York Yankees. I don't know how good the Yankees are, but they're going to be at least competitive to the place where you think maybe they're going to make the playoffs next year. Alex, I think this is even more reason why Cardinals fans are feeling some anxiety about where you are at as a team. Because most of those players that I just mentioned not only play for contenders, they play for contenders in the NL. And so now you're going up against where the Cardinals in the early 2000s and then all the way up until really like the early mid 2010s, they always had a guy, a guy that was in this conversation with the faces of the sport. And you could say, okay, yeah, you've got so-and-so, but we've got Albert. Yeah, you've got so-and-so, but for that brief stretch of time where he was playing like one of the best players in the sport, we've got Matt Carpenter, right? We can put him up there with the best of the best. do you feel good about that one? No, nah, I didn't feel great yeah. about it. <laughs> Did you feel like you were trying to jam the square peg into the round hole there? They, they had Adam Wainwright. They had Yadier Molina. They had some of the faces of the sport, right? So I, technically, they still do. Do you feel that way right yeah, now? Yeah, you should just say, hey, remember the early 2010s? Boy, we've got two of the faces of the sport. Right now? No, you don't. Three years from now? Maybe with Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman? But that's yet to be seen, and it's hard to get to that point. I mean, you got to be... You got to be best of the best to be at that point. But no, you don't. And I would argue that you haven't had it for five years. Maybe since Prime Yachty. Since Prime Yachty. Since that, probably that, that Atlanta Braves series where Yachty was still a, kind of at his peak. Uh, it's been a while. And yeah, I, I think when you look around the National League, there are way too many teams with faces of the franchise and guys that are making moves for faces of the franchise. Because think of it 
Bryce Harper was signed via free agency by the Phillies. Mookie Betts was traded for by the Dodgers from the Atlanta Braves. Ronald Acuna Jr., of course, they they were able to acquire. Was that the draft or the international draft? But all of these guys were able to be acquired via funds or trades. Meanwhile, the Cardinals kind of sit back and say, "Man, well, we'll find our guy. And frankly, that's the only way they're going to find their guy. The next face of the franchise or face of baseball for the Cardinals will only come from drafting and developing because we've seen they're not spending over $200 million on a guy. And nor should they. Like, nor, nor should well, they. And that guy's not available. Like, I was going to say. The thing I, is, you look at the free agency class this year, the only guy that was available was Shohei Otani, and that was never going to happen here in St. Louis. I'd argue they should if guys like Bryce Harper become available. Sure, they should. Yamamoto might have been one that you look back and you say, boy. I think there's a lot of teams right now that are paying for the regrets of free agencies of years past. Like, I think the Giants right now are looking back at free agencies of years past and saying, man, we should have been more aggressive. I think the Cardinals are looking back at, maybe the team isn't, but fans are looking back and saying, man, if they... If they had gone out there and got Bryce Harper, a lot of what we'd been talking about in previous years would have been different, man. Because you just have that proven production every season in the outfield. And now you you don't have that, obviously. So I'm totally in agreement with you there. Somebody on the text line said that, guys, I can't believe that you left Mike Trout off of this conversation. I I know that others disagree with me. But my stance on this is very simply, just because you're one of the best players in the sport does not make you one of the faces of the sport. I think the moment Shohei Otani stepped into the Angels organization and started to have success was the moment that Mike Trout faded away from being the face. I don't think he was ever the face of baseball. I think those first couple of years he was, because the hype around him was like the hype around Bryce Harper. I don't. I don't think he was ever somebody that captured the hearts and the minds of baseball fans. If you're a hardcore baseball fan, you probably love watching um, Mike Trout on a night-in, night-out basis. The guy is amazing, and he's one of the best players to ever play the game. I am in agreement with all of that, and yet, he's not interesting. He's not, man. Like, the way that he plays the game does not capture your attention. Shohei Otani does things I've never seen done before. Ronald Acuna Jr. does things I've never seen done before. Jose Altuve, in a package that I've never seen do it this way, does things I've never seen done before. Mike Trout's just excellent. And watching excellence just at the level that he'd... It's, it's, it's like Paul Goldschmidt, but in the outfield. Paul Goldschmidt, nobody is tuning into the Cardinals that is not a Cardinals fan, that is not a hardcore baseball fan, because Goldie's out there playing with his fundamentally great, fundamentally sound baseball. No, Tim Duncan was never the face of the NBA because he wasn't interesting. Tim Duncan was nicknamed the Big Fundy because his thing was, I'm going to do all the fundamentals really well. That's Mike Trout, man. That That is who he is as a baseball player. Bryce Harper is different. Uh, Shohei Otani, different. What you see from Ronald Acuna, different. Those are the guys that reach the level that we're talking about here. So this is not to say that he's not a great player. This is not to say that he's not an all-time great player. But I, I think it's just a different different conversation about being the face of a sport versus being one of the best players in that sport. Yeah. Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman, is, in my opinion, is not one of the faces of Major League Baseball, despite being one of the great players in Major so League Baseball. So with that definition, then would you put Nolan Arenado a face of baseball? No. Because Nolan Arenado still does things that we have not seen in baseball. Yeah, but it's it, it's defensively and it's... I love Nolan Arenado. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I We were going to talk about this a little bit earlier, Alex, but one of the guys that I'm most excited to watch for the Cardinals in 2024, probably the guy that I am the most excited to watch, is Mason Wynn because he appeals to me as a fan. 
I love watching athleticism. I love watching speed. I love watching guys that are excellent defensively. Up the middle defense with speed, boy, that is the way to my heart. That is the way to capture my imagination. I was, my favorite player growing up was Jermaine Dye and Carlos Beltran. Like, that is what I'm always looking for is who are those other guys that play that way? Uh, Lorenzo Cain was that guy for me early in his career here in St. Louis. I loved watching Tommy Pham play because he had all of those things. It's why I like watching Lars Newtbar to a certain degree. It's why I really enjoyed watching Tyler O'Neill when he first got here to St. Louis and was doing all the things that he did. Harrison Bader. It's why that was my guy. I, I don't know that Nolan Arenado is at that level. And playing third base defensively is a little different than some of the plays that like Jim Edmonds could make as a center fielder. So I'm not speaking for everybody here, but for me, I don't I don't think Nolan Arnado is or ever was one of the faces of the sport. I think a lot of that, too, is he was never on a great team while he was in his prime, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Do you think that he's one of the faces of baseball? I did at the time. I don't think he is right now. I, I in his prime Colorado Rockies years, I did feel like he was a face of the franchise because he was the guy that everybody would talk about because of his defensive plays. Now, it was because of his offense, although a lot of those years he had some dominant offensive outputs. But when you've got somebody who the common baseball fan changes the channel to see. Do you I, think people do that? I don't know. I did. And I mean, I, at the time, I was just a Cardinals fan. And it's like, oh, damn, I got to see what this guy did. Like, I was waiting to see highlights of what he was trying to accomplish. Which I think there are very few people, very few players that people do that for. Like, I think there's maybe less than five. I think our list might even be too long. If you're talking about guys that are people are changing the channel to watch, I, I think, think it would like be Shohei Otani, maybe Ronald Acuna, maybe Bryce Harper. That might be the end uh, of the I list, think Aaron Judge was. has been that For guy. For sure, he yeah. was. That's probably somebody we should have had on our yeah. list, honestly. Yeah, He's Aaron, one of the Aaron Judge is one of those guys. I, I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm just too many years removed from it and forgetting it. But, man, those those like those few years where the MVP conversation included Nolan Arenado – it felt like he was that guy that you were like, damn, I got, what did he do again? And that to me, it might be a small sample size. Like when you're a face of the franchise, it might be for a, for a temporary time for a little bit, but if you're there for three years, I give you the credit. And that's what it feels like. Nolan Arenado was coming up in about 10 minutes or so. I'm not sure Scott Perunovich is ever going to be a face of the franchise for the St. Louis blues, but he is starting to open up our eyes. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. Coming up next, it's time for the junk drawer here on one one ESPN. <laughs> BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Guys, what would you say would be your most streamed either show or movie that you watch a bunch of times for the year 2023? Was there anything, Alex, that you spent, you feel like, oh, the most amount yeah. of time watching this season? Blacklist. Or this year? Yep. Blacklist. We started it. Uh, my wife and I, God, I want to say we started it in the spring. And obviously, as parents of two kids, you're not watching a whole lot of shows sure. that often. So maybe one or two episodes a night. But I'm about to finish 10 seasons like in the next week or so. So that would be the one that I've spent the most time watching. Grant, Worth it, too, by the way. Do you watch anything? No. Grant doesn't even I'm own gonna a television. I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm trying to think the last series that I watched. Because I don't really? really watch movies. 
I don't really. I think Manifest was the last series that I actually watched, which is a really good series, by the way. But I, I've heard that before. It's about a plane. It's actually really good. Um, but I, I think that was more like last year that I watched that. Damn. I don't think I've really watched anything. I watch sports whenever I have t- sure. like extra time. I re- like I don't really watch anything else. I mean, I watch a lot of kids shows too. Like you asked me the amount of Disney movies that I freaking watched sure. in the last year. <laughs> so we got into uh, the Great British Baking Show this year while Carol did. was pregnant. So that, of course you did. Hold that, on. I'll, while you mention these shows, I'll count on uh, my hand how how many I actually have watched. So I wanted to go through because there was a piece that was released earlier today, Alex, on the ten most streamed movies and tv shows in the calendar year 2023 which would you rather start with tv shows or movies let's start with movies because i right. think i can name a couple of them. all right i'll give you let's go with some of the like try to get the top five i'll give okay. you like five five guesses and then i'll go through the list what would you think are on the list barbie? of the top 10 most streamed movies for the year 2023 barbie is not on wow here, according to this list oppenheimer is not on here according to this list damn I thought those two would be at the top of this list. Um, boy, I'm going to be out of this. Think then. about stuff that people would not go to the theaters to see necessarily as much. They're, they're streaming it on. No clue. The Super Mario's bro. Uh, okay, so movie. that makes sense. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, that's oh, number Marvel. two. There's got to be another Marvel movie in uh, there. John Wick Chapter 4 is the third most streamed movie this year, according I to this list. Chapter one, two, or three. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm surprised by that. Uh, the Little Mermaid. I'm sure, Alex, that's probably on yeah. your list of streamed movies. No, we're still in the cartoon version of Little Mermaid. The Menu, <laughs> a, a movie that I the always Minions? see on my streaming options, but I've never actually watched it. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons is on here. Avatar Way of Water. Oh, I finally shoot. watched that this year. Well, I, I think Avatar is a stupid film, and really? I think it's a waste of time. I thought Way of Water was pretty good. Better yeah. than I expected it to be. I saw the uh, first one, and I was like, this is w- pointless. You said there's going to be another Marvel movie. There yeah. is indeed. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is yeah, on here. makes sense. Fast 10 is on here. And <laughs> uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. A movie that I have not seen yet, but it is on my list of movies yeah. that I need Marvel's to Marvel's Make Sense. Spider-Man with, with that one on there. I completely forgot about uh, Little Mermaid. All right, Alex. TV shows. What do you think is on the list of the 10 most watched, most streamed TV shows for 2023? So Ted Lasso is going to be on there. Number three. Yeah. Uh, Yellowstone. It is. It is number two. Well done, sir. I just know that because some of my parents freaking watch. Great. I'd like a little help over here, please. <laughs> Listen, I'm thinking Jeez. hard here. You got two of the top three. That's um, impressive. Might be smoke coming out of I my ears. I think you actually might grant no number one. You might be more likely to get I the number should. one I'll streaming I TV hear show it. than Alex is, in my opinion. You got any other guesses, Alex? Um, hold on. I'm trying to think right now. TV shows that were the most streamed in 2023. Top 10. Um, is The Walking Dead on there? The Walking Dead is not on I was going to say that one might be over by now. The Last of Us is at number oh, one. Oh, yeah. Nope. I freaking watched that one. Yellow Jackets is number four? Yes. I've yes. So that's kind of... of I, I've heard of it. I haven't watched it, but yes, I've heard of that one. Wednesday is number five. Again, I've never never <laughs> heard of I watched one Wednesday. episode of that, and I was like, this is done. That's the Adams Family one. Okay. Uh, Succession number six. That is one that we were very into. You Mandalorian. Never really got into it. That's at number yeah. seven on this list. Oh, yeah. That would make number sense. Number eight is a show that we love. The Bear. 
Have you seen any of that, That's Alex? the cooking show, right? It's yeah. spectacular. Haven't watched it, but I do want to watch that season one. Season two is way different than season one. The Christmas episode, hot damn, one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Uh, number nine is Beef. Did you ever watch that one? Mm. The Road Rage. I feel like you should probably watch it. <laughs> Sounds like my narrative. I couldn't decide if I liked it or hated it, but we kept watching Road it. Road Rage. What's 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 not like? Not and number like. 10, The Summer I Turned Pretty. I've never heard of that or seen that either. How many of those shows have you watched this year, Alex? So, two of them, because I watched a little of Yellowstone. Okay. Didn't really get into it that much. And then uh, Ted Lasso. I saw we watched four of them. We watched uh, Ted Lasso, Succession, The Bear, and Beef. If I could See, recommend any of those, I would go The Bear 1, Ted Lasso Here's the problem. Man, I suck at watching new shows because I always just go back to the ones that I like, and I'm like, let's just watch this one again. So every time we should start a new series, I'm like, let's just watch The Sopranos again. Or let's just watch The Office again. Or then I started watching Supernatural again, and then we're going, trying to get through Blacklist. I suck at watching new shows. I just don't have a very long attention span. Like, the the only show that I watched a little bit of was Wednesday because it was, like, super popular for a short stint. I watched probably half of the first episode and I got bored. So what I've learned is that it's really hard to watch shows with kids, Alex, (laughs) because everything is broken into like a certain amount of time. Like you've, there's not enough time where you are specifically watching something. And then when you watch it, you fall asleep because you're exhausted. Exactly. So we, when we put Luca down, that's our time to be able to watch a show, right? The problem is there's only so much time because we've also got, you know, work that we've got to do because we couldn't do it while he was awake because we're watching Luca. We're hanging out with him, right? Um, So... When you get to, you know, 10 o'clock at night and you're watching your show, finally, you are exhausted. And so you just want to watch one episode. So it just takes so long. So what we've been watching is Abbott Elementary lately because it's 20-minute episodes. So you can just crank those bad boys out. You're right. You watch two or three of those in a night. You're done with the entire series over the course of a few weeks. Yeah. When you've uh, got something like, you know, a one-hour succession, for example, and you've got 12 episodes for each season. It's going to be a long, extended time. This is why you uh, also don't watch shows with your significant other, uh, because my, oh, wife see, falls I get in trouble for that. my wife falls asleep before we even start an episode of Blacklist, and so I can't keep watching. She will just watch it, and you will catch up. She doesn't catch up, but then yep. I don't watch it for the next four days. Yep, and I'm exactly. like, I need to know what the hell's going on. Yeah, it's it, it's tough, man. It's tough. But so, then you get in trouble when you watch, and they, it's a whole thing. So that's why you only watch one series a year, which we're trying to finish Blacklist, and like we've got three. I told her, I said, boy, New Year's Eve, we're going to have to try and crank out as much as possible. And she's like, got some wild yeah. plans for New Year's Eve this year, huh? We got invited to somebody's house, and I said, no, man, we're, we're putting the kids to bed at 7.30, and we're watching Blacklist. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex is going to take over for Believe It or Not. We'll see how he does in this rendition of Believe It or Not here on oh. 101 ESPN. But next... Scott Perunovich is starting to open our eyes, but what does that mean? What can his role be in the long term for the St. Louis Blues? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I thought Scott was really good. I thought him and Scandy played well together. They seemed to be reading off each other. Uh, Lau's, you know, 
prone to, you know, get up in the play, move pucks, uh, be confident, knowing that he's got, you know, a stabilizing force in the back with Scandi. And I thought Scandi had a great game. I mean, I, I know he's he scored, but I thought defensively he was he was very sound. He moved pucks quick. He defended really hard here tonight. I thought his his physicality really came through. That third pairing defensively had a good night last night for the St. Louis Blues alongside Alex and Grant on BK. Scott Perunovic is somebody that we've had our eyes on for a while here in St. Louis. Alex, our first real exposure to him came in that postseason run in, what was that, 2022, I guess it would have been, against Colorado when he was the seventh defenseman, and they were almost exclusively using him as a power play quarterback. But he was good. He was good in that role. He really added value to the Blues in that postseason We haven't seen much of him since then because there's been a lot of injuries that have taken place. And even when we have seen him, he looks like he lacks a little bit of confidence. It's not the guy that we were sold when he was the Hobie Baker winner. And this was the guy that was going to change the Blues blue line, becoming their version of Quinn Hughes. That's not who he's been so far for the Blues. But recently we've seen him playing with confidence. He had a point. And was a was a net positive whenever they had that big comeback against Chicago. Played almost 17 minutes that night, too. Last night, ended up giving you two points and helped you out on the power play. Alex, what are you seeing that's changed for Scott Perunovic right now? Confidence, knowing that he can jump into the play. And, and I know he talked about it postgame. He also talked about it with Curbs and Grant Frederick, who was filling in for Joey last night on the broadcast. And Perunovic told them... That, you know, every every day, every game is an opportunity for him to regain more confidence. And he said the Christmas break was good because he could kind of reset himself. And I think the Drew Bannister interim head coach hiring has benefited Scott Perunovich because it's somebody who has the utmost faith in him. And whatever it might be, and I don't know how, exactly how Craig Berube felt, but you just weren't seeing the usage with him in the same spot that you are with Drew Bannister, where he knows that like you put him in the right spot, he's going to provide something. Last night was his best game that I have seen this season. He was chipping in plays offensively, he was keeping pucks alive, and he's us- using his speed to break up plays the other way. His confidence is the reason you're starting to see a lot more from Scott Perunovich. And look, Drew Bannister wants his defenseman to be a part of the rush. He wants them to be a part of the offense and you've got seven goals and 20 points in the last or six goals and 20 points in the last seven games by defensemen. Scott Perunovich is a part of that. So to me you're starting to see the emergence of a player that's becoming the player that the Blues wanted him or thought he was going to be. A guy who won a Hobie Baker, uh, as Grant Frederick said it last night on the broadcast, who played against him in college. He's a player that is everywhere on the ice when he's at the top of his game. And I think last night proved that. Now it's just a matter of building that confidence and getting more opportunities for him, which I'd love to see. I'd love to see more ice time, and I'd love to see Scott Pernovich get a chance to play more with a Justin Falker or Colton Pareko. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think too, and this is not talking bad at all about Craig Berube. I don't think he had anything to do with it. But for Perubich's side of it, when you're coming into a coach who obviously has a lot of NHL experience, expects you to play hard, I think mentally it's like anything else. If you're at a normal job, you have a new manager that comes in and you don't want to make mistakes. But you have a coach that comes in that you're familiar with Maybe it takes the pressure off a little bit. A lot of players have been talking about how the pressure has been off a little bit. Fresh start. I think for Perunovic, when you have a coach like Craig Bruby who you're trying to impress, you're trying to make an impression on him, you don't want to make mistakes. We talk a lot about players gripping their sticks a little bit too tight, playing with a little bit of hesitance and and playing to not make mistakes. It seems like that's kind of what Perunovic 
was going through with Baruby here, not trying to make that mistake and, and making that wrong first because impression. Because you did, you were out of the lineup. Exactly, you know? and it's a natural thing to, to go through mentally. But now with the coach that he's been with and has a lot of experience with, with Bannister, there's that comfortable, comfortability level for him, and I think it's allowing him to play more naturally in his role. I think there was also some comfort that's starting to grow with his pairing mate. Like Marco Scandella talked about this last night after the game about how they're starting to build some chemistry. And Grant, I think we have this cut. Perunovic and Scandella are the two that have been paired together on that third pairing. Here's what Scandella had to say about what, why he thinks that Perunovic is starting to play a little better. Might take a little bit more chances than me, but it's perfect being paired up with a guy like that. Uh, I just tell him, like, stay up on plays. If you make a good read, like, just read on it, and I'll, I'll back you up. So, you know, Scotty's uh, at his best when he's producing offensively, when he's moving the puck, when he's just playing off instinct. So that's what he did tonight, and hopefully we can build off that. I think it's great that he's playing with a Marco Scandella right now. Uh, and and that and that's the only reason that I can push back against myself and say pump the brakes on getting him up with Colton Pareko and Justin Falk because one I don't know if you want to put him in a spot and lose confidence of a guy that you really need to continue to gain confidence. But man, you've got a player in Marco Scandella who I think is playing so much better than what people are giving him credit for and you just heard him there. He's giving a kid Scott Perunovic confidence saying do what you do best, I'll cover the defense. Yep. And last night was a perfect example. I mean, Scott Perunovic started that whole sequence that Marco Scandella scored on. It was puck passing. It was 31 seconds of zone time, and Scandella benefited from it. But Scott Perunovic can't be that guy if you're playing with a defenseman like Colton Pareko that wants to jump in the rush also, or Justin Falk who wants to jump in the rush, because then Perunovic has to be the one that kind of takes that load on. And for somebody who you're trying to build the confidence with, I get it. I want to see him with Pareko at some point this season because I think he can be a top four defenseman for you. But for right now, man, keep him with a Marco Scandella and let this kid keep realizing that he is a game changer when he's got the puck on his stick. Blues are off tonight. They are back in action tomorrow uh, against the Colorado Avalanche. We'll see what the pairings look like for that one. And if Scott Perunovich gets an even bigger role, we'll see how long it takes before we see some of that. Alex, will have your pregame coverage tomorrow right here in your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN, tomorrow at 6 o'clock. A little bit of news to pass along. Um, this is significant news for Illinois basketball, and it's terrible news. Yeah. Um, Horrible story coming out of Illinois. Terrence Shannon Jr. has been suspended after he was charged with rape in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, This is a statement that comes from the University of Illinois basketball. On Wednesday, the Douglas, Kansas County District Attorney issued a warrant for the arrest of Terrence Shannon Jr., Per policy, the Division of Intercollegiate Athletics has suspended Shannon from all team activities effective immediately. Shannon has been charged with rape as defined under applicable Kansas law. The alleged incident occurred while Shannon was visiting Lawrence, Kansas to attend an Illinois football game at Kansas. Played on the evening of Friday, September 8th. He was there as a spectator. According to this statement, he was not in Lawrence on any official university business, nor was he a member of the university's travel party. They continue. Shannon traveled to Lawrence today where he presented himself to authorities. He has posted bail and is returning to Champaign. Again, all of that is according to the University of Illinois basketball program. Uh, there's no opinion to have on this. Um, just if we're talking about the basketball side of things, I thought Illinois coming off of the Bragging Rights game was a potential like Final Four type of team. They mm-hmm. looked that good. 
again, I, I can't have an opinion on the Terrence Shannon off-court stuff because we have no idea what happened here. But if what is being accused happened, I mean, he's, he's never going to play basketball. Yeah, he's again. done. Um, first, horrible, obviously. Purely from a basketball sense, if you're an Illinois fan today and your team now is no longer going to have Terrence Shannon, and I, these things take a while to go through the court system, I wouldn't expect to get Terrence Shannon back at any point this year. Um, this is a massive hit to their chances. Obviously, he's deserving of being suspended right now. We'll see what happens with that. But um, this is, for Illinois basketball, man, uh, a tough, tough, tough go of it here. Yeah. With, uh, Terrence Shane is their best player. He's amazing. Um, and to have something like this, mm, Man, can't have that. Cannot have that. So Terrence Shannon, uh, the news, has been suspended following charges of rape in Lawrence, Kansas. If there's any uh, follow-up stories, we'll certainly report on those. But again, this is not really a topic thing. You can't. There's no. T- there's no conversation to be had here. Terrence Shannon uh, has been suspended. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, there is a chance in the Cotton Bowl for Mizzou's football players to make some real money based on their performance against a really solid Ohio State team that it sounds like is going to have most of its best players participating in this game. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, We'll get to Believe It or Not coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I'm about to wipe the floor with T-Bone's voice right, right now. here we go. Big moment for one Alex Ferrario. T-Bone thinks he's good. I'm Don't the, forget, you're live on YouTube right now, I'm bud. the king of karaoke. You ready for this? Here we go. Here we go, boys. Everyone join in. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Or not, it's just me. 3143999646 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not here on 101 ESPN. Believe it or not, that was the best iteration of this version of Believe It or Not. That was pretty good. It was pre- fr- from the moments that I've been here. Pretty good out of here. That Grant. was pretty good. Uh, I think everybody's thankful that I did not join in there. My voice can't do those notes. Oh, so man, I, um, I think you could have hit the he he he. Uh, All right, Alex, I'm going to mm. get the heat here. Good. Believe it or not, the 2019 St. Louis Blues are the worst Stanley Cup champion you. of the salary cap era. What idiot says that? The Athletic. BK. Get the f- get out of here. I almost just cussed on here. <laughs> get out of here. They ranked the past 18 Stanley Cup champions, and, and they the- had the Blues at number 18. And the Blues were the worst compared to the bubble now, team. let me give you the criteria. The criteria is from start to finish of that season, who was the best team overall from game one of the regular season to potentially game seven of the Stanley but Cup But that doesn't final. matter. The regular season doesn't matter to the postseason. I'm just telling you that is how they are okay, defining cool. this. So I guess we're bored for articles. overall best team from start to finish of that season well and and here's the other part about that the la kings in 2012 barely made the playoffs as an eight seed and they ended up winning it and the bubble season the bubble season montreal was a dominant team it was tampa versus dallas 
And we're going to sit here and say that that was a better Stanley Cup championship than the Blues. Did so, Dom write this? Uh, he's a part of it. Of course, of course he is. Of course he is. He puts the stupid tweet out last night. And then talk about the 2020 this. champion, by the way, the yeah. T- Tampa Bay Lightning. They, yeah. were, they were at number eight on this list. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm done. At t- 2021, Tampa was at seven on this list. And That's, they beat Montreal. And they beat Montreal. Yeah. Good, Good Lord. Uh, Good the, stuff. The best Stanley Cup champion in the salary cap era. Any guesses? It's got to be a Chicago team because nope. Dom wrote it. Might be nope. Pittsburgh, too. Nope. nope. Chicago, the, the 2013 Boston? Chicago Blackhawks are at number three on this list. Boston. The 2011 Boston Bruins are at number four on the list. Ooh, okay. Um, Colorado. They're at number two. Dom does have a They're you know two. what for a yep. Colorado team. Um, what about the Kings from 14? They are not in the top three. Five. It, wow. So Tampa wouldn't have got Tampa didn't get it for twenty or twenty one. The Kings are at number eleven. The Capitals? Nope. They were down by the Blues. They were actually, I think, seven sixteen on the list. Which is amazing to me because like it was the one bottom of, five oh, teams. I'll start there. Twenty nineteen Blues are the worst according to this list. According to this list, not me. Uh, twenty two thousand and six Carolina Hurricanes were at number seventeen, and then the twenty eighteen Capitals, two thousand and nine Penguins, and at number fourteen the twenty fifteen Chicago Blackhawks. The best Stanley Cup champions of the salary cap era, according. This list shouldn't piss me off because I know Dom's got nothing better to do, but it really irritates the hell out of me. I'm with According you. to the Athletic, oh, the it's 2008 Vegas. Detroit Red Wings. Okay, like I can get on board with that because that 2008 Detroit Red Wings was about as dominant as you can ask for. Let me look at what that roster was. 2022 Colorado Avalanche at number two. Oh, yeah, Darcy Kemper. Yeah, Darcy Kemper. It took them injuring a goaltender to win the Stanley Cup. That 08. By the way, it is kind of amazing. The Blues, I still believe, would have beat that team in 2022 if not for Bennington going down. Now, that's I think that speaks to how great that Blues team was, by the way. I don't think it it, like tears down what the Colorado Avalanche were. What would the Blues of 2019 have done to that 2022 Colorado Avalanche They would have just destroyed them. Uh, it would have been four games. If the 2022 team did what Dude, they I think did the, I think we Colorado. underestimate how good that 2022 team. That, that but, 2022 okay. Blues team was really good, They man. were good. Really they were. good. But Colorado... I think defensively they were pretty good. Colorado I think they were saved by their them in that series. Bennington kept them yeah. in it. I think, their goalie, I think their, their goalie made them look better than what they actually were defensively. Offensively, they were dominant. But that 2019 Stanley Cup team, they would have beaten every single team in the NHL in that series, in that that, uh, Stanley Cup series. Nobody could have gone up against them. They were the toughest team that we have seen in a very long time. And now, look, I can get on board with I I think this. I'm going to. Blues fans, don't get mad at me. I think this year's Vegas Golden Knights were better than the 2019 uh, Blues were. Like the one that just won the Cup? I do. I disagree with that because I think you had a better goaltender. I agree they have a better goaltender, but I think overall, I think the Vegas Golden Knights this year were, were a little better than the 2019 Blues. It but, doesn't take them away. They, they won the cup. They won it. They earned it. I know. do not think they were the worst team to win a I cup just, of the last Like the 2008 years, Detroit Red Wings, I can completely understand. Who would you have as the worst? Probably that bubble season. The twenty one, the twenty one, where it was Tampa versus Montreal. The only thing like with that, them is that, that, that they Tampa won team was two, really good. Went to three, but it was like, it was it was fifty four games or whatever. They, sure, but they were still great. Fine, team. but the entire season was played against the Canadian teams. Then let's let's set that aside then for a second. 
You can't it, set it aside. It's I the know, worst but, Stanley Cup out of all of but them. Get rid of the team that you think is a fake, like a uh, Mickey Mouse championship. All it, right. Of the teams that went through the gauntlet of uh, the NHL season, who was the worst Stanley Cup <laughs> champion team honestly, of the last 18 this years? This is going to sound really weird, but it, is it that Colorado team? Because the Blues almost beat them. But I think that is being negative about the Blues more than it is propping or taking down the, the Avs. I, I think we look at that Blues team as not being as good as they actually were. Yeah. I, mean, I think that Blues team was great. I mean, maybe it would be that Capitals team. But here's the thing. That Capitals team, I mean, they had about as dominant of a run as you can ask for with Alex Ovechkin. Like Barry Trotz made Alex Ovechkin one of the best players in the game. So it's hard to take that away. Maybe it's that COVID season or that shortened season from the lockout where the Blackhawks won it. Yeah, but they were dominant that year. But again, it's 54 games. They were dominant. But like if we're going to do all of them, the, the, the two shortened seasons would be the two worst because they're not real seasons. Listen, I think right, if, but that, I think that's cop out answer only. Fine, but like I'm looking at a Stanley Cup champion that beat the Montreal Canadiens, and I'm watching. Understood. Although I'm I do, saying set those aside. Yeah. Because it, that that's basically saying the circumstances weren't as hard as it is for these other teams. It's not actually discussing whether or not the quality of that team was as good. So if we set those aside for a minute to yeah. actually discuss like the teams that went through it all, and we're uh, we're getting into the nitty gritty of the, who were, who were the best, who were the worst. I, I do think it is fair to some degree to say, like, start to finish that Blues team. Like, they were the worst team in the NHL at this point in 2018, that calendar season. So I I can see how on a ranking like this, they end up being the quote-unquote worst. I think it also speaks to how freaking good you have to be to win a Stanley Cup. If that team is even in the conversation as being towards the bottom of this list, it's just really hard, man. The, the, the bar is set so incredibly high. Someone made a really good point. And you look at the teams that that you can't call it cheating because it's not, but used the system to their advantage to use, to use LTIR and then bring the player back once they got to the Stanley sure. Cup. Like that would be Vegas last year with Mark Stone. It would be Tampa back to back years with Nikita Kucherov, and it would be Colorado with Landeskog. Well, and also think about the run that Colorado had, and they had Edmonton in the conference finals. That was a yeah. joke. So I mean, like. I could hear the argument for the Colorado one. I think I could also hear the argument for one of those Tampa teams, but by no way, shape, or form would I have the Blues at the bottom. So, believe it or not, we are all, you guys are saying, not believing that the Blues I mean, are the worst Stanley Cup I didn't title need winner rage at 1.30. Of the last 18 years. Yeah, all right, Alex, what do you have for us for thing. Go to Grant. I, my mind is all over the place <laughs> I was about right to say, Alex, I had something. Go to Grant. I had something. So pissed oh, off. I just remembered it because I had it pulled up on my computer, luckily, because I was so pissed off I forgot uh, about what I was going to say. Okay, so since uh, Drew Bannister has taken over for the Blues, six games, Blues power play has been 25% top 10 in the hmm. NHL. I can't score at five on three. You really had to bring that Sorry. up right now. Sorry. Oh, for four, actually, by the way, this year. This is this is what you turned him into in this segment. No, he turned me in this all season. Jerk. All right, believe it or not, uh, the rest of the way this season, Blues are top half in the in the league in power play percentage. Just from when Bannister took over six games ago on. Yeah, I'm going to say not. I just don't think that. I, I'm not sure they have the talent for it. They, they need a one-time shot. And Alex brought up before the show today. I, I think it's time. I do. I, I think it's time to kind of mix up what that first unit looks like in general. I, I would have, personally, Scott Perunovich on the top unit now. I would I just have Perunovich and, and, and Krug. I, I would probably do that as well. Um, and then see what that looks like. Maybe mm. it ends up working. Maybe it doesn't. But we know what they had been doing with that top unit. The second unit's really been the one that's been yeah. putting in in the work to get these numbers would, up for them. I would combine those and have a, not. a Thomas, Neighbors, Buchnevich. 
Pareko and Perunovic as my number one unit. That'd be fun. And then the next unit can be Krug with Kairou and Saad and Shen and whomever you want to throw out there. But that first unit should be the one-time shot with Scott Perunovic as the quarterback. I mean, he showcased his ability to put the puck on the stick. The only way you're going to make one-timers work is putting it in the right spot like he did for Jake Neighbors last night. Pareko's got the one-timer, and he's not afraid to shoot it now. And then you keep the front as is. But they they, they cannot keep going out there. I'll believe this one, though. I, I think you're starting to see the effect and impact of Brad Richards, who's doing the consulting on the power play. And I think they're making the right decision. I think there was a lot of pressure on that five on three last night to score. And, and that's where they crumbled. Well, and going back to Pareko for a second, I would love for them to set Pareko up right in Ovechkin's office at that left faceoff circle and just let him rip one timers. The only bad thing about that, and I wonder if this is the hang up on it, is that if he misses the net, it's an automatic clear because his shot is so hard. Yeah. That it's going around the boards and straight out of the zone. And he misses the net a lot. He has six goals in the season, and he's been better about it. But when he takes one-timers, he does have a tendency to miss the net. That's the only thing bad about it. I got one for you guys real quick. Yep. Believe it or not, Jimmy Snuggerud will be the first blue since Brendan Shanahan and Brett Hall to score 50 goals in the season. Wow. Not. I, I don't want to put that kind of expectations on the kid. I think he's going to be really good, but I'm 50 goals is. Just snuggered with a Robert Thomas. I mean, you can kind of see it, maybe. A couple years from now. I mean, you know me. I put my comps out there and I stick with them. Just 50? 50. No, I'm not saying he's going to score it like in the first year, but at some point in Jimmy Snuggerud's career, he scores 50 goals with the Blues. Think about that. He's going to be coming in when Robert Thomas is going to be hitting his prime. You stick with the Pavel Buchnevich. You're seeing the impact of how good his shot is. You know what, though? I'm not going to believe it just because. What the hell, Grant? I, not because I don't think he has the ability to do it. I think Jordan Cairo might get there first in a few seasons. <laughs> I don't believe that one. In a few seasons. The entire list of players in the last 10 years. Score at least 50 goals in a season. Mm-hmm. Drysaddle, Rantanen, Point, Posternock, McDavid, Ovechkin, Kreider, Matthews. If Chris Kreider could do it, Jimmy Snuggerud surely can do it. That Eight dude players have done see. it in the last decade. Yeah, Most of them are considered to be the best goal scorers of this generation. I'm just not I don't think Chris Kreider's viewed as the best goal scorer in our generation. One of them. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're I think you're getting a little too Chris Kreider excited, if you know what I mean. No, nah, he's on pace again this year for like 40 goals. Not 50. Chris Kreider underrated. Massively underrated. Jimmy Snuggerud on pace for 50 goals, probably. I apologize for spending the vast majority of our segment on one I don't. question. It's a Alex got stupid upset. article. Dom really gets to him. I, it's when just I a, have the opportunity a, to surprise him with something like that, too, it really makes It's just day. a stupid, like, you're showing your go. Blues hatred for your with your athletic article. You're the exact same person as Greg Wyshynski with Jordan Bennington. Why? Ooh, the Blues 2019 was the worst Stanley Cup championship out of all of them. Like, come on, man. You know, it has never happened before. And you're going to sit here and act like that that was the worst Stanley Cup championship. That's stupid. When one championship was won by two teams from the Canadian division. And I can't omit it because he put it into the list. Just one team from Canada for what it's worth. All right, coming up next, there is a chance this weekend for Mizzou players to make some money in their bowl game against Ohio State. It's going to be a murder in this break. (laughs) Might be. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back. 
to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant, I'm BK. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're all back. We're all uh, feeling good. No, we're not. on the show. But I've at least calmed down a little bit. But then you... You just decided to rile me up more and start defending them, so that was a real stupid idea. But it's cool. not a defense. It's just you know, Let's I, keep I find it to be on. an interesting discussion. All right, well, if you missed any of our conversation about the Blues and where they're ranked among the uh, the best Stanley Cup winners of the last eighteen seasons, spoiler alert, eighteenth. Um, you can check yeah, that out on don't the podcast even waste page. Your time. 101ESPN.com and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. All right, Alex, the Blues are back in action tomorrow night against the Avalanche. Missouri is also back in action tomorrow. Their final game of the 2023 season. This will be in the Cotton Bowl against Ohio State. Now, Ohio State is going to be without its starting quarterback, but it sounds like the vast majority of their team is going to participate in this game against Mizzou. I don't know that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to play, but I'm not ruling it out at this point. He has not been participating in the open sessions of practice where the media is there. He's been there, though. He's got a no-contact jersey on, and frankly, if I'm him, I wouldn't want to participate in practice right now either. I I would say there's at least a chance that Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to play. Either way... This is a real opportunity for some of Missouri's best players to go out there and make themselves some money. When you think back, Alex, in recent years of especially quarterbacks like C.J. Stroud, Justin Fields, when they go up against legit competition, this is the film that NFL evaluators look at and say, all right, what did they do in that game? For Mizzou this year, the guys that are NFL draft eligible, so you're talking about Chris Abrams-Drain and uh, Cody Schrader, those guys, Darius Robinson, NFL evaluators are going to say, all right, let me see what they did against Georgia. Let me see what they did against LSU, Tennessee. And one of the games that they will turn on, let me see what they did in the Cotton Bowl against Ohio State. And there was a piece earlier today uh, on ESPN.com about uh, some of the guys to watch NFL draft related for the upcoming bowl games. Cody Schrader was mentioned here. And they said, why isn't Cody Schrader getting any real draft buzz? He said, speed has been a concern for some teams with Schrader, and there's a question about his ability to create separation at the NFL level. This evaluator views him as a midday three pick, though he could be picked higher as a complimentary rusher in a down running back class. This is the kind of game, Alex. This is probably the best defense that Missouri has gone up against this year, and I include Georgia in that discussion. Cody Schrader can earn himself a hell of a lot of money if he goes out there and does against Ohio State's defense what he's done against basically everybody on the schedule so far this year. Yeah, and I mean, that should be the motivation in itself, which, you know, a lot of these guys, like the Marvin Harrison Jr., you can kind of understand if he doesn't play because he's getting paid no matter what. But, man, for everybody that's not expected to be a top five, top ten pick, I would be more motivated to play in these bowl games than ever before. And I understand the injury scare is there, but man, if I'm Cody Schrader, what else do I have to lose? If I'm some of these guys, that's not sure if I'm going to get drafted in the NFL, the best opportunity that I have to get on the radar of some teams, even if they don't draft me, but at least call me afterwards and say, Hey, what do you think about trying out for our team? Us dra- uh, not drafting you and giving you some money just to be a part of it. 
This is that opportunity, and, and not even guys that are draft eligible. Now, I would imagine teams are doing their due diligence and looking at what a Luther Burden does in this type of game. Because, yes, you'll have one more season before you get to that draft status. But, man, if you look at the games that you played against LSU and you looked at what you did against Georgia and then the Cotton Bowl, and then you follow that up with another solid season, there is so much incentives that go into playing in these bowl games. And, frankly, for a fan purpose, that's where the excitement comes from. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line. A couple of things from the text line here before we get to the rewind from the six three six guys. You really think that a game going up against backup Ohio State defenders is going to have any impact on what they end up going, where they end up going in the draft? You're crazy. Uh, like I said, most of the Ohio State players are going to play in this game. At least that's the expectation right now. They've been going through practice, so I see no reason to believe uh, that they won't be participating. And the same thing is true for Mizzou. The only two guys that we know of that are opting out of this bowl game, and it's for injury reasons, are Ennis Rakestraw, cornerback, and Tyron Hopper, linebacker, both of whom have been missing games during the regular season for injuries as well. So uh, this is a one of the rare bowl games where most of the best players will be on the field. Now, Kyle McCord, the starting quarterback for Ohio State, he's transferred to Syracuse, so he's not going to be participating. We know that for sure. But most of the best players will be playing. So, yeah, it, it, it is something where NFL draft evaluators are going to be looking into it. Somebody else on the text line said, BK, two weeks ago, you rambled on and on about how Mizzou's bowl game doesn't matter one bit. Now it matters a lot. I think there's two different ways that you can look at this, Alex. Me as a Mizzou fan, this game will change nothing about how I felt about the 2023 season. Agreed. Win, lose, somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. This season was a smashing success. It started what has now become some real momentum for 2024 being an all-in type of a season. You had nothing but positive reviews on both your offensive and defensive coordinator, both of whom are coming back next year. Luther Burden put together a spectacular season. Cody Schrader put together one of the best seasons I've seen by any Mizzou player in the last 20 years. None of that is going to change if they lose 27-10 to 10 against Ohio State on Friday night. None of it. I will not change my view of this team and what they accomplished this year and how they set up Mizzou football for years to come. If these individual players, though, that are NFL draft eligible go out there and dominate individually, even if they end up losing, yeah, that'll absolutely help them in the NFL draft because they're going up against talent that these NFL teams think will also play on Sundays. So it's a big deal for some of these players individually even though as a team, at least for me as a fan, I can't speak for you. If you think it's the biggest thing in the world, cool, no problem. You can view the team however you want to. For me as a fan, yeah, it changes nothing about yeah. how I felt about this season. I'm the exact same way. I don't. They could get shellacked in this. It could be over in the first quarter, and to me, I don't care. I don't care that the backup quarterback's playing. I don't care that Marvin Harrison's not playing. This was a successful season because I was looking at Eli Drinkwitz coming into this year saying, man, the guy's every single season, six wins, seven wins, and nothing more. And then he goes out there and does this where the losses were still very competitive, where Mizzou had chances to win. This was a success, and nothing will change that. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Grant Francis, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind with the Blues finding new ways to win. Is that a skill? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. To the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. We're going to get out a little early today because Alex coming up at 2.15. Scott Perunovich will be joining the Fast Lane, so I'm looking forward to that. If you missed anything from our show today, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. You can also rewatch the show as you can each and every day over on YouTube at YouTube.com slash 101ESPNSTL. Alex, before before we get out of here today, one final thought on the Blues. They won last night, and to me, my biggest takeaway from the game, instead of finding ways to lose, because I think the Blues would have lost that game as recently as two weeks ago, they are now finding ways to win. They seem to be developing that skill within themselves. They have some more mental toughness, some more intestinal fortitude that is being built uh, with this team. After they failed to score on that five-on-three, and then Dallas scores coming out of that, We all assumed, I think, and it was reasonable to do so. Ah, they're going to lose this game. Instead, they found a way to win. They hunkered down, and they found a way to win that hockey game. That is something that is a noticeable and distinct difference between how the team is playing right now and how they played as recently as a couple of weeks ago. These are all building blocks for a team to exit out of a retool. It's confidence in certain areas. You've got confidence now as a team to come back in games, and now you've got confidence in games to hold off opponents late. Whether it's your goaltender doing it, your defense doing it, doesn't matter. You've got confidence. It's the only thing you want right now within this next couple of weeks. Sure, you want points, but more importantly, for the long-term future of this team, you want individual confidence, and I think you're starting to see a lot of that bud with players like Thomas and Buchnevich and Joel Hofer and a lot of these defensive players, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear Scotty uh, Perunovich later on today. 2.15 for Scott Perunovich. Be sure to stay tuned for that for Alex and Grant, who did a fantastic job once again today filling in for T-Bone. We'll be back in with us next week. I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.